you're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ha! Got him! That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime in accordance with the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to another episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news, rumors, and updates on The Mandalorian, The Bad Batch, Ahsoka, and all the other cool and exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. Um, Great to be back with you again after just one week, because of course we've got another episode of Mando to talk about, we got some more Bad Batch to talk about, and we've got some other Star Wars news, so um, yeah, we figured, you know what, let's just come back sooner rather than later, Um, and uh get into talking about all this fun stuff. So as always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I'm joined uh, tonight just with by my co-host, Tim. How's it going, Tim? What's up, Kyle? It's going good, especially after the one-two combo we got yesterday of the Bad Batch and the Mandalorian. So lots of fun stuff last night. And I didn't get to watch the Mandalorian at midnight like I did the premiere. So I did watch both the Bad Batch and Mandalorian back-to-back last night, and it was awesome. It was one right after the other. Just awesome awesome star wars content so yeah i'm excited to talk about them yeah definitely um like i said paul i don't think will be on this episode with us unless he randomly decides to just jump in in the middle of it i don't think he's even seen uh this week's episode of mando yet because i know he's been pretty busy so yeah. um i'm preparing that maybe he's gonna watch it tonight see how awesome they are and then see if we're still re- on recording and just jump on maybe so <laughs> yeah maybe it depends on how long we go with all the stuff we've got to talk about so um, and then next week, uh, I might not be able to join cause I'm going to have a crazy work week next week. So we figured, you know, what, let's just record with me and Tim now. And then, uh, it might just be Tim and Paul next week. Um, but we'll see how it goes. Um, but yeah, let's get right into it. We're going to start with some movie news. Um, and as has been the case of late, the movie news is not great. Um, <laughs> but uh and we're gonna kind of just be through because this is a lot of this is just kind of getting old by this point um but there was an article from variety that came out a couple of days ago titled star wars shakeup kevin feige and patty jenkins movies shelved taika waititi looking to star in his own film um and there were a few tidbits in this article uh like i said one of the things that they talked about was taika waititi possibly um having a substantial acting role in the movie that he's directing um which is not a surprise because he typically does that in most of his movies he did that as uh maybe most famously as hitler and jojo rabbit um and he got a lot of uh, acclaim for that role um but he's also been in you know what we do in the shadows he of course plays uh korg in the mcu and you know he directed those thor movies uh played ig11 in the mandalorian and he directed an episode of you know that season 
Um, he also, I don't think he directed it, but he's, you know, he was involved in the creation of the show. Our flag means death. If you guys have watched that and he obviously plays a main character on that show. Um, so yeah, I don't think it's coming as a shock to anybody that, uh, you know, if Tyke is directing a star Wars movie, that he's going to play some kind of role in it. If anything, maybe the bigger surprise and the, the, you know, sort of most positive thing to come out of the, all this is that Tyga is indeed still working on his Star Wars movie. Um, For now. And there was <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, there was nothing negative in this article about that movie also being shelved. So we still don't know when it's coming out or what it's about or where that is in the, the production pipeline as far as what's coming next. But um, sounds like it's still underway, at least. Um, the other thing that it talks about is, um, I mean, they say in the title that Patty, that the Patty Jenkins movie is shelved, but then if you read the actual article and the sources that they cite and sort of the, um, the things leading up to this, it's really nothing we didn't know already, which was that like back at the end of last year, um, they had announced that her movie was sort of delayed indefinitely. Uh, so she could focus on Wonder Woman and her other upcoming projects. But then Wonder Woman 3 was canceled by DC and their whole shakeup that they've got going on. And so there has been no word from Lucasfilm saying that uh, that Rogue Squadron is back in development or anything. But when Patty Jenkins made her statement about Wonder Woman and all that, she did mention uh, going back to Lucasfilm and hoping to complete that movie and stuff. And so the fact that the title here... Uh, makes it sound like that movie has been shelved permanently or indefinitely or whatever. It's like, last we heard, it sounds like it's still on the table and there's nothing really definitive or nothing new in here to say otherwise. So, um, yeah, I mean, we still don't know where we're at with that. Like we said, we haven't really heard anything recently from Lucasfilm one way or another. Um, but I would not take that as gospel that, um, that the Rogue Squadron movie is definitely not happening. I hope it still happens at some point. Um, but kind of the big takeaway here was the Kevin Feige movie getting shelved. Now, also, it may be a bummer, but it's also not a surprise, at least to me. Um, I mean, from the moment that movie was announced, I was like, cool, I would love to get to see Kevin Feige involved in a Star Wars movie. But when the heck are they going to have the time to make that happen? Um, especially because the MCU stuff doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. And obviously, he's very involved in all of that. So, um, I'm not surprised at all. And with all the other stuff they've got in the pipeline and all the other, you know, talented people they've got attached and with all the stuff that Kevin is doing with Marvel. And obviously, you know, I, I would like to see him, you know, continue focusing on that. I can't say I'm necessarily disappointed, um, but more so I'm just disappointed that like that we're going through this whole rigmarole again with exactly. uh, Star Wars project getting announced, uh, the director or a producer or some big name attached that we all get excited about before there's ever a script or a story or a production date or anything concrete like that. And then it just ends up not happening. Um, and you would think that they would learn their lesson. So that, you know, by this point to just like, keep everything behind closed doors, pitch your ideas, write your scripts, get your people attached. And when the project is greenlit and ready to go into production, then announce it. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, every time this happens, I'm like, well, I hope it's the last time and I hope things start to smooth out. And um, I mean, hopefully they've got some stuff in production that 
does start coming out soon. Um, and of course, you know, I, I obviously would rather have a good product over something coming out soon. And that's another thing that, you know, there's been a lot of talk about recently, um, you know, the quality versus quantity and, uh, you know, Bob Iger trying to kind of cut costs and not just throw money at everything and really kind of hone in on, um, making good quality stuff and, and making sure that the stuff is ready when, when they release it. So, um, but at the same time, like I said, we, we just have been on this carousel so many times with the Star Wars stuff getting announced and canceled and announced and canceled. Um, they also reiterated in this article, and we had heard this recently, too, that um, the, at least right now, the speculation is that they're going to be announcing a Star Wars movie at Celebration this year um, for release maybe in 2025 or sometime around there. But hopefully we'll finally get some good news on the film front uh, at Celebration, which is just about a month away from now. Um, so yeah, we'll see. And we've got some more celebration stuff to talk about in a minute too, but, uh, yeah, we'll see, uh, when, when that comes around, you know, if we get announcements of stuff that actually is in production and actually is happening. Um, but for now, unfortunately, just add, this is one more to the pile of stuff that has, uh, you know, been announced and then scrapped or shelved or pushed off indefinitely before it ever actually saw the light of day. Yeah. I don't have too much to add or say about this. I mean, like you said, we've been through this before and it just sucks that we have to go through this again, more so than the actual projects that are being shelled. One, because we kind of knew about it already, like you said, with Rogue Squadron and Patty Jenkins. And then with Kevin Feige's, we didn't even know what type of movie project he was working on. So um, it's just more of the disappointment that this is still continue to happen at Lucasfilm. So I think this is it. I Just off the top of my head, I don't know if there's any other projects that we knew about that could potentially get um canceled other than taika watiti's so who knows maybe this will finally be it until they announce something that actually is in pr production or is really close to be in production i think i said yeah. this on one of our more recent episodes where if they are going to announce something at celebration announce what it is but also that hey production has started already or production will be starting whatever time <laughs> like sometime very soon just to know that it's going to happen and we just have to finally stop going through this with all these movie projects so yeah when i first saw that headline i was like here we go again <laughs> to quote c-3po and return of the jedi <laughs> so mm -hmm. yeah this sucks that this keeps happening but hopefully this is it and no more announcements so these things are actually gonna happen yeah let's hope so um because yeah i mean it's just not a good look like this stuff exactly. you know this stuff this stuff comes out and you're just like oh man what a mess especially i mean there was also some news out recently that Lucasfilm is being sued by a producer that they fired from the Acolyte. Um, and then, of course, like I said, there's, you know, this stuff about, um, you know, Bob Iger keeps making these comments about, you know, having to kind of scale back and be more careful with the quality and all this kind of stuff. And he also, in some comments he just put out today, talked about um, the movies that were put out under his previous tenure as CEO and how the Sky, like the Skywalker Saga films performed really well and that Rogue One did pretty well. And that Solo didn't do well. And because of that, they're, you know, trying to be really careful about what they put out and make sure that it's good and everything. And it's like, man, you guys are still really hung up on Solo, huh? Like right? the fact that, uh, I mean, we all know, like it was just a, a weird combination of a bunch of factors. It was like the lack of marketing. It was the fact that it was put out only six months after The Last Jedi. It was the fact that it was put out six months after The Last Jedi of all Star Wars <laughs> movies, you know, the most divisive one. Um, 
so you know that obviously had had some kind of impact on it and the fact that it was just a busy summer movie season that year and it was sandwiched in between like infinity war and deadpool 2 and so um yeah i don't know like it was i'm not saying it's a weird you know that it's completely a fluke and i'm not saying that you don't take any lessons from that and just keep on doing the exact same thing you were doing but like I don't know. They, like the executives at, at Disney specifically, it seems like Solo spooked them, you know, way more than it had any right to. Yeah. Um, especially because, you know, you hear their comments about um, the comments that they've made about stuff like bringing Luke back in the Mandalorian and like the deep faking and stuff like that and being like, oh, well, we learned from Solo that audiences don't respond well to them recasting classic characters. And so like, we just have to use the technology at our disposal to like recreate the character that people know. It's like, no, that's the wrong takeaway there. Like, again, there's a lot of factors that went into Solo not being a huge box office smash. Um, Heck, even the fact that, like, I know there's a lot of people that love that movie, and obviously a lot of people that love the character of Han Solo, but I don't think it was at the top of a lot of people's wish lists of, like, characters that they wanted to see a spinoff about. And you still hear some people say, like, you know, why did we need that movie? Um, and so it's like, it's not that they, you know, there are some people that it's not that they didn't want new actors playing the character. It was more that they just weren't interested in the Han Solo spinoff to begin with. So I don't know. There's, there's a lot more to that, but they seem to like, just look at the numbers and the way it performed and be like, okay, we have to do everything possible to make sure that we don't repeat that. And uh, it seems like they just get really skittish about it. So I don't know. I hope that they kind of get over that at some point, but I hope when they finally do put out a movie that they feel like is good quality i hope it's a good movie i hope it does well and i hope that they can stop being you know scared of their own shadow and just you know take some creative risks and just put stuff out there but um yeah i agree so um okay well enough of the behind the scenes drama uh let's talk real quick about like i said the uh star wars celebration panel or panel schedule for celebration europe that's coming out um in less than a month at this point which is weird because like i know celebration is in april but for some reason in my brain i keep thinking like end of april um maybe i'm thinking that because like that's when jedi survivor comes out or something but like i don't know it's just like it's sneaking up on me and i keep forgetting that it's coming up that quickly um, but they just released the official schedule of all the panels um, just this past week. Um, and as always, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff about like, you know, different behind the scenes panels and stuff with like Doug Chang and production teams and stuff like that. And new stuff with like books and comics and High Republic and all that stuff. So we're not going to go through everything in the schedule. But obviously, um, if you're going to be at Celebration, like there's a lot of fun stuff to uh, get to go and experience. But the main stuff that, uh, you know, us poor people back home are going to be looking for um, is like first and foremost, the Lucasfilm Studio Showcase on uh, Friday, April 7th from 11 a.m. to 10 to 1230 p.m., um, which I'm assuming that's London time. So I got to do the yeah, math I was thinking the same thing. what time that's going to be <laughs> on here. And if they are going to stream it, which like they didn't even stream it last year. So um, that, you know, might be the case again this year. But obviously, like if they announce a movie or something like that, I'm sure we'll all get that news pretty quickly. Um, and if they do release like a teaser trailer or something like for a new Star Wars movie, I feel like you got to put that out. 
I wouldn't be surprised if they maybe show like a, a closed doors, like first sneak peek look at like skeleton crew or something like that. Um, but yeah, I feel like, you know, if there's a movie and they have anything to show for it, like they got to put something out. But at the same time, I mean, we haven't heard anything about a movie going into production. So I doubt we'll get like a, a full teaser trailer, but we might get like a title reveal or um, something kind of like what they did with row one back at celebration uh, Anaheim. Yeah. Um, cool. the first, the first Anaheim in 2015. Um, but then again, I don't know if, because I think that one actually was a closed doors thing for people that were there. So no, yeah, they never um, put it out. Yeah. So who knows? We may get to see it. We may not. Um, but I'm sure there'll be some, some fun and interesting stuff coming out of that panel regardless. Um, you know, cause this is Star Wars Celebration Returns launching with a must see showcase that will kick the weekend's festivities into hyperdrive. Lucasfilm's current crop of live action filmmakers will be joined by special guests to discuss many current and upcoming Star Wars adventures, including the Mandalorian, Andor, and more. Um, interesting that they list Andor on there. So I wonder if they'll actually talk about uh, Andor season two, um, which I think they've already started filming, right? I think that went into yeah. production like right after the first season. So I don't mm -hmm. know if they'll maybe have anything. Yeah, I don't know if they'll have anything to show by then. They um, could. But it's possible that might be another thing that, uh, you know, might be like a behind closed doors kind of thing. Um, if it's, you know, like a very early look at that, but we could get a release date. We could get, you know, just some information from, uh, you know, Diego Luna and uh, Tony Gilroy and stuff like that. So um, definitely an interesting one to keep your eye on there to, you know, kick off everything on Friday, April 7th. Uh, then on Saturday, April 8th, uh, from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m., there's a panel just dedicated to Ahsoka. Um, and, uh, it says, you know, join executive producers, Dave Filoni, John Favreau and special guests for a look at the upcoming Disney plus series, Ahsoka. That one, I would assume they probably will show a trailer for, and like, we'll all get that. Um, yes. at least I would hope because again, you know, the, sort of the, the unconfirmed speculative release window for that show has been like late summer. Um, so like. I mean, if anything, I could see that, like, if they show a trailer just behind closed doors, they got to release the full one on, like, May the 4th. Um, that was something we had speculated about before, too, that, like, if they're not releasing Ahsoka on May the 4th, we at least got to get a trailer on May the 4th. But we already have two different Star Wars series, uh, which is Visions and then that Young Jedi Adventures series that are both coming out May 4th. So, like, just show it at Celebration and show it to all of us. You know we're going to find all the leaked versions on Twitter anyways. Just give it to us in good quality. I know. Especially um, don't have Ahsoka be the one where both trailers were shown behind closed doors at both celebrations, two celebrations in a row. Like, yeah, I mean, us. granted, <laughs> I get that last year was like barely a trailer, more so just sort of like a, a compilation of footage, you know, just very early clips that Dave Filoni had thrown together to show the fans like that one makes sense being a behind the behind, you know, behind the scenes kind of thing. Um like that was the kind of thing that I expect to be like a celebration exclusive. But if you're going to do a full, you know, first teaser trailer, um, kind of like blowing the lid off of the, the show for the first time, like you got to show that to everybody. Um, you would hope, but, you know, they love their secrets. So who knows? But again, like the show is going to be coming out in just a few months anyway. So we're all going to see it sooner or later. But Start then, to put money um, on it. I would say we're getting, we're all seeing that trailer. That I would too. I would too. But then part of me, you know, just based on past celebrations, it's like, oh, is that just wishful thinking? I don't know. Um, but yeah, we'll see. 
Um, then later that day, uh, 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m., also there's a Clone Wars 15-year anniversary panel. And the only reason I bring that up is because, uh, you know, obviously we've already had the conclusion of Clone Wars. We got the Siege of Mandalore, and I think this probably is just going to be a look back and reminisce on the series kind of thing. It says join, you know, Dave Filoni, Athena Portillo, Matthew Wood, Dee Bradley Baker, Ashley Eckstein, Matt Lanter, and James Arnold Taylor for a look back at the beginning of Lucasfilm animation and how Star Wars, the Clone Wars came to be. Um, so again, I think that's just going to be a retrospective, uh, a look back, uh, you know, celebrating the 15 year anniversary of Clone Wars. But again, the last time there was a 10 year anniversary of Clone Wars panel at San Diego Comic-Con, we all know how that went down and we ended up getting the surprise <laughs> announcement of the Siege of Mandalore at the end. So that is going to be one to keep an eye on just in case, because Dave always comes with a surprise up his sleeve. Um, and even if there's nothing new announced, I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe shows some like never before seen like concept art from the very beginning of the show or something like that. So um, that's one of those ones that I hope they stream. Um, it says live on the galaxy stage and stream to the twin sun stage. Um, but uh, they don't say on here which of these panels are going to be included on the celebration live stream, but um, which we did also get confirmed, um, at least on Twitter and through people involved at Lucasfilm and stuff, that there will be um, a celebration live stream online again this year after there had been some worry and some speculation that that wouldn't be happening. Um, but yeah, it sounds like that will be happening again this year too. But they always, you know, sometimes leave out some of the big panels and, uh, you know, so as much as we would like to see everything, like they don't tell us ahead of time what we're going to be able to watch or not. Um, but then let's see Sunday. Um, again, you know, a lot of these are just kind of like the, the fun behind the scenes kind of panels and stuff like that. Um, but one to keep an eye on on Sunday uh, from 1.30 to 2.30 p.m. Uh, is a look back at Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, with uh, Ewan McGregor, Hayden Christensen, Indira Varma, Vivian Lyra Blair, and executive producer, director, Deborah Chow. Um, so again, you pointed this one out specifically to me before we started recording, Tim, and we were looking at this, that like, if they were ever going to announce a season two of Obi-Wan or, you know, anything else with that series, uh, that might be the time to do it. If they don't do it at the Lucasfilm Studio Showcase. Um, but again, you know, it would be one thing if it was just like, oh, you know, an interview with with Deborah Chow or something like that. But like when you've got you, Ewan and Hayden there, um, of course, you know, they could just be there to to talk about the series and celebrate with the fans and everything. But like could be something in the works. You never know. So that's another one to uh, keep an eye on just in case. Our minds cannot help but go there. When that yeah, panel, we saw that there like. Could they possibly announce a season two at the end of that panel? I mean, it would be perfect. To, to yeah, quote Obi Wan from Revenge of the Sith, now's the time. <laughs> <laughs> if you have announcements, now is the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Monday, April 10th, uh, from, which is weird that, like, I forgot that celebration goes from Friday to Monday this year instead of like Thursday to Sunday. Um, but on that Monday from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m., there's a Bad Batch panel. Um, I think season two will have just wrapped up by that point. Um, so I'm sure it's going to be kind of like a look back at season two with, you know, the actors and the crew and stuff like that. But um, again, you know, if anything, we might get an official announcement of a season three um, or even maybe 
I'm like, would it be too soon to show like a teaser for the next season or something? Because, you know, they always work way far ahead with the animation stuff. Um, or maybe even, you know, just like a, a poster or a glimpse of, you know, a new character model or something like that for season three. We might get something like that. Um, but I think if anything, at least like a, a, a an announcement that a season three is coming, I think will probably um, maybe happen at the end of that panel. Um, definitely wouldn't count on a release date because even if they gave us one, like it would probably just end up getting pushed back six months or something like season two did. Okay. Um, yeah. I remember that when it was like coming fall of season or fall of 2022. And then like we were in fall of 2022 and they still hadn't given us a date yet. And then it was like, actually it's January. Um, and yeah, obviously it would still be probably like at least a year away. So I wouldn't expect, you know, dates or concrete details or anything like that, but at least an announcement of the season three would be cool. Um, and then there's also a Star Wars Visions volume two panel on uh, that Monday from one to 2 p.m. Um, and I would imagine if we haven't gotten anything by that point, that that might be where we get like the trailer for season two, since that's coming out like a month later on May the 4th. Yeah. Um, so something to keep an eye on as well. Um, and then of course the closing ceremony will, they'll probably announce, you know, when and where the next celebration is going to be. Um, so yeah, lots of cool stuff to look forward to there. Um, I'm already anticipating the big three or four hour episode we're going to do afterwards talking about all the new stuff that gets announced, especially because Mando is still going to be going on at that point. So we're probably going to have to do like a long episode where we dedicate like the first hour to talking about whatever the, the most recent episode of Mando was and then talking about all these new trailers and announcements and stuff afterwards. Um, I kind of hope just for our sakes, like maybe it's kind of a downer episode of Mando that week. That's like not super <laughs> exciting, but um, not that I want no, that no. to happen. Just If there was ever a time, you know, if there has to be an episode, like one mediocre episode this season i hope it's that week of celebration just so we can focus on everything else. <laughs> i guess but no yeah celebration europe looks to be shaping up very nicely like you said big panels pretty much almost every day of the convention so um yeah i was just thinking about it too as we we're talking about uh the obi-wan panel that's going to be there or going to be happening on sunday and just how you and hayden's going to be there I'm wondering if too for since Hayden is going to be there, if he'll be one of those surprise guests at the Ahsoka panel and kind of oh. officially confirm that he's going to be in the series. Because that See, would be amazing. <laughs> as much as uh, like that would be really cool, but also like I'm kind of surprised that that leaked as early as it did. But like the only way I could see them bringing him out for that is if he's like a major recurring character on the show. Um, but I would think that that would be the sort of thing that like Dave Filoni would want to keep a secret and keep, you know, close to the chest. And like I, it was kind of surprising because remember how Rosario Dawson like sort of accidentally uh, yeah, confirmed that rumor right. when it came out? Like because yeah. she, she posted it on Instagram and it was like or she commented on like the post that was, uh, you know, that leaked it from like one of the trades or whatever and was like, oh, glad to have you back, Sky Guy, or something like that. And it was mm -hmm. like, oh, well, I mean, I guess that kind of confirms it, doesn't it? Um, I mean, it's not 100%. Maybe she wasn't even, even in the loop. Maybe they hadn't started filming yet. But um, like, I, I would 
bet that that's going to happen, but I bet that that still is the kind of thing that they would not want to like talk about ahead of time and just kind of spoil that surprise. So, um, yeah. And plus too, this will be the chance to kind of announce all the rest of the cast that's going to be in it. Cause right now we only have two <laughs> with Ahsoka and Sabine. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we know Hera's going to well, be in it, but we don't know Chop. who's playing. Well, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. So I guess to, to round out the rest of the cast, because they never did, Correct me if I'm wrong, but they didn't do one of those press release announcements for Ahsoka like they did Obi-Wan and the Acolyte Saints now filming and they announced the entire cast. No, I think because I think the announcement that Ahsoka was filming was basically just they told us that at Celebration last year. Mm -hmm, Um, And it was like uh, during the Lucasfilm Studio Showcase, they were like, here's a message from Rosario Dawson who couldn't be here in person because she's on set filming Ahsoka right now. Um, but then, you know, she showed up like on that Saturday or whatever for the Mandalorian panel. And then they, had, so they, inter- they brought her out. They showed Chopper for the first time and they introduced, uh, Natasha Lou Bordizzo, who's playing Sabine. Um, but yeah, those are the only confirmed castings that we have so far. I mean, there's been some reports from like Variety and Hollywood Reporter and stuff of like an actor who's playing Ezra and, um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who... I think I think the the rumor is that she's playing Hera, which I hope yeah. is true because I think that would be a fantastic casting. But it's basically like unofficially been confirmed that she's in the show. Because um, yeah, I well, think even, even McGregor said it too. <laughs> she's it, well, yeah, but again, like it wasn't announced by Lucasfilm. It was one of those mm-hmm. things that again was reported by the trades and stuff. And I think that was before Celebration last year. And then it was like once it was like at celebration or when he was doing press for Obi-Wan that he just kind of confirmed it and was like, Oh yeah. Like we're a big star Wars family now because I'm in it and she's in it. Um, and that was like the first time that we had really got any confirmation of that, but yeah, there, there still has been nothing official about who she's playing. And yeah, we didn't get like a big grid of like, here's all the actors and their pictures and who they're playing and stuff like that. So um, yeah, maybe we won't find out until celebration maybe even until the trailer and we just see these actors as their characters um but of course i'm sure they're gonna bring a bunch of them out on the stage for this panel i don't think it'll just be the two that have been announced so far i think they're gonna you know maybe they'll just save it for the beginning of the panel when they're introducing people that's how they'll announce the cast um yeah introducing the crowd at celebration so that would be really cool yeah definitely like I, so, in fact, I'm kind of expecting that to be the way they go <laughs> with yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, honestly, episodes. that's probably the thing I'm most looking forward to from Celebration this year is that Ahsoka yeah. panel. Um, obviously, the studio showcase will be great too, but that's going to be kind of a lot of just like announcements about upcoming things. Whereas Ahsoka is where we're going to get like a lot of information and stuff about this series, and it's going to be obviously the next thing coming up. So, um, yeah, I can't wait to see what they've got in store for that. Yep. Uh, like you said, I guess the biggest thing, too, is to find out exactly the exact times we're going to be able to <laughs> watch these panels and the stream when it happens. It's, I, like you said, I assume this is what's posted on StarWars.com, the London time. But I remember back in 2013 in the Celebration Europe where it was kind of some late nights keeping up with some, whatever news got announced. I mean, that wasn't a big news uh, celebration since that was just a year after the Disney acquisition. So there wasn't too much um, announced there. But for this one... I don't know, it was just fun though staying up late and getting new Star Wars news <laughs> as it was yeah. happening there. Or so, waking up to a bunch of stuff first thing in the morning. Right. Well, if it's the weekend, yeah, I'm, I'm staying up. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Even like you said, the Friday one, if it's like late Thursday night, 
I'll probably still stay up because it's just one more work day. I can handle being a little extra tired that one day. <laughs> and then yeah, that's true. Don't worry about it again, the rest of the weekend. Yeah. Again, we'll have to figure out what the actual schedule is and what that's going to be like our time. Um, but yeah, yeah but that'll be fun to watch and, and keep up with all those announcements and stuff. Yeah. I just remember it being really fun for Celebration Europe in 2013. And the fact that we're going to have some big stuff for this celebration should just be, make it even more fun and staying up with those yeah. late nights getting Star Wars stuff. Announced. Yeah. And you know, like, because obviously not everybody is going to stay up for that, but like you'll find a good community of Star Wars fans on like Twitter or wherever um, that are also watching stuff at the same time and, you know, people to get excited with. So that's always fun too. Seeing everybody else's first take you know, late night delusional reactions to that yeah. stuff. <laughs> and then not be able to sleep because you're so excited for what you just saw, probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, well, that's pretty much it for all the news stuff. We kind of went on with that longer than I expected, but uh, hey, it's us. So, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? Um, but uh, yeah, so of course, like we said, we got two fantastic episodes of Star Wars stuff yesterday that we want to talk about. Um, I want to focus primarily on Mando. Of course, we also got a an excellent episode of Bad Batch, which I also talked about that for like two hours yesterday on Rebel Cells. Actually, no, not two hours. I think it was only like an hour. Um, but me and Mike and Joe all got to talk about that and how much we love that episode. So I'm going to kind of throw it to Tim um, and let you just talk about uh, this most recent episode of the Bad Batch that we got. Of course, you know Tim's going to want to talk about it because Crosshair is in it and clones are in it oh, and there's new yes. helmets and all that kind of stuff. So... Um, and I might chime in with some additional thoughts too and, and just kind of bounce off of you. But um, yeah, we'll just talk some Bad Batch for a little bit and then we'll get into the most recent episode of Mando. Yeah, so this was another one of those Bad Batch episodes where I saw some early buzz on Twitter for those who got the early screeners saying this is one of the best episodes of the series. It is the best episode of the series. It's one of the best animated Star Wars <laughs> episodes you're going to see. So my hype for it was pretty high going into it. It just got me really excited for the night, too. Like I said, Bad Batch and Mando on the same night. It's going to be awesome. And this one did not disappoint at all. I was kind of hoping from a little bit I've been hearing about it, I was like, is this finally, we're going to get our second Crosshair episode this season <laughs> with this one? And I didn't have to wait too long to find out, because this was in the first few seconds when they show the troops boarding the transport. There's Crosshair, just waiting for the lieutenant and to board the ship. So I was immediately happy right away. I just knew we were going to be in for something great because, man, even though so far Crosshair has only been in two episodes, he's made those episodes count. They really have been the best of the season and just some of the best Star Wars animated content in general. So, yeah, I absolutely love this episode. Just to get the obvious out of the way, this another amazing, beautiful-looking episode. It just seems like... We know with Clone Wars, it always got better with each season. But I don't know, for some reason, the Bad Batch this season, it's almost like each episode looks better than the last. This one just mm -hmm. looks incredible in the snow environment and the character models of the armor that the clone troopers and death are. Uh, uh, I was going to say Death Trooper because Crosshair's armor is pretty close. <laughs> it just is awesome. But Crosshair's armor, just certain shots, this man it just looks so realistic. Like if this is live action almost, it's just really, really impressive. So. Yeah, so that helps make the episode a great one. But just what this episode did for Crosshair as a character, um, it was kind of the one I've been waiting for because we kind of knew that, you know, Crosshair is going down this dark path. He's staying with the Empire. He left his only family with the Bad Batch to be with the Empire, even though the Empire has screwed him over many times. But I just knew he had to have 
not necessarily redemption arc just yet, but he was going to start to see what the Empire truly is and kind of break away from that thinking of that all he has to do is just follow orders or that's all uh, he's meant to do is just follow orders and be a good soldier. And we finally got the episode where he's breaking away from that type of thinking and finally to start uh, making decisions and choices for himself and just see what the hell the Empire truly is and just how they're treating his fellow brothers um, in this time where the clones are being phased out. And I just so glad we got the solitary clone earlier in the season just to help you know, plant the seeds a little bit of this type of where his mindset's going to be in this episode for some of the conversations he had with Cody at the end there. So it's just been a great character arc that we've gone for Crosshair. I mean, just even from the beginning of the series and even from his first appearance in the Clone Wars in the Bad Batch arc. So it just I've just been loving the progression we've been seeing of him. Um, I mean, he's been my favorite character in the Bad Batch. I mean, a big part of it is because of how cool his armor is. I'm not going to lie about that. But um, just... But now seeing the character arc that is going on, I mean, he just might go down as being one of my favorite Star Wars characters in general. I'm just loving the story that he's he's going on here and just really curious to see what um, is going to be the final point of his journey by the time uh, his story is done. If it will be ending in this season, I hope not. But whenever the Bad Batch is done as a series, will that be it for Crosshair? Or will he be one of those who survives later on into the timeline of Star Wars. We'll see, but I'm just really loving what we're getting with this character now. So many great moments. And one of the things or teases I saw, even from Dee Bradley Baker himself on social media, that one of his new favorite clones um, that he got to play was in, that, was in this episode, and that was the new clone, Mayday. And yeah, he was pretty awesome. <laughs> just the way he was just talking, uh, talking back to the lieutenant and not really... I mean, following orders because he had to, but not not being happy about it and letting the lieutenant know he's not happy about it and his frustration. Just really calling him out on his lack of experience where he has tons of experience and how to handle different battles and scenarios. So Mayday was great and just another great character for Crosshair to bounce off with just their different um, perspectives, their history and what they've been through in the war and just their outlook on things now with the, being involved with the Empire. And again, just kind of similar to what Cody did, just planting those seeds in Crosshair's mind and how this, you know, this isn't right now they're being treated and just how he can't just follow orders all the time. So just a lot of great moment between those two characters, especially when Crosshair was on uh, the landmine and maybe they had to uh, put the pressure on it so it wouldn't go off when Crosshair took his foot off. That was some great moments between those two, especially the whole thing about being dead weight and crosshair kind of mm -hmm. making that point when we saw that enemy he wounded to being dead and uh was being surprised that he was left behind and crosshair just dead weight and then <laughs> made it kind of throwing that back in his face when uh, he was potentially going to be dead weight himself if that mine went off and then just how that eventually led to the great moment at the end there was crosshair and mayday where they had just a cool action sequence with the two clones taking down um those enemies who were stealing the cargo from the empire and man it was just you knew it was going to be something that was going to make you like just roll your eyes at the empire just be more frustrated with them that these clones are living in these horrible conditions they're not getting any support most of them are being killed off there's only three left and then to find out it was all for stormtrooper armor and as rex called it in rebels junk armor <laughs> they were giving mm -hmm. their lives for that it was just again just great storytelling that adds to just how the empire views the clone and just how 
far they fell from grace within those in power in the galaxy with the empire taking regime. It just sucks that they're being treated that way all for their replacements pretty much. So yeah, so that just leading after that great action sequence, but then that causing that avalanche, which probably leads to the biggest tragedy of this episode and maybe of the entirety of the bad badge, Kyle, I think Crosshair's helmet is lost for good. (laughs) (laughs) Actually. Yeah, probably. When after the aftermath of that avalanche, he gets up, he doesn't have his helmet on and he's kind of searching, obviously looking for Mayday, but there's a part of me is like, Oh, I hope he's about to pull up his helmet right there. (laughs) uh, Once he grabbed Mayday and saw that he's still alive, he's going to help him out. And they just walked down and he didn't have his helmet on. I was like, Oh, I think that's it. That's it for the amazing crosshair Imperial helmet. But um, despite that sad aspect of the episode, um, just led for, Again, a tragic but great moment at the end where they make it back to the outpost and the lieutenant was waiting for them, or not waiting for them, but when he saw them, just berates them and just calls them out for failing their mission and just uh, being useless or they served his purpose for when Maydays sadly dies, even though, uh, as Crosshair calls out, the lieutenant could have gave him some medicine, maybe could have pulled him into a back to tank or something, but nothing. He was just more upset that they failed their mission, that he was happy to see him die and just... Crosshair wasn't in that much better shape, but this is, I'm so glad the episode ended this way because I would just thought it was going to be another one of those things where we, cause we saw it with Rampart. He did it a bunch of times. So not only Crosshair, but other clones, but to where he, he belittles them and he kills one and they just see, they get away with it. But I thought that was going to happen here where Crosshair, we see him fall to the ground and the episode was just going to end that way. We'd have to wait to see the repercussions later in a future episode. But when Crosshair got back up and he just yelled out Lieutenant and blasted him straight on, I just like, (laughs) good for you, Crosshair. I mean, he had it coming. And just the fact that Crosshair just went against everything he believed in with following orders and being a good soldier to take out his superior officer the way that he did because of his lack of compassion, lack of appreciation, just viewing the clones as nothing more but as a tool. And as Crosshair, this wasn't going to happen anymore. He saw it too too many times now as being enlisted with the Empire. So when he finally took matters into his own hand, it was just such a great moment. And I just knew it just had to be coming because we were kind of talking about this when we are talking about um, the clone conspiracy and how there was that one clone trooper who was working for Rampart and was just became an assassin and just made me think what would lead to him to do that just to kill his own brothers. And you kind of were talking about that was kind of the same case for Crosshair. And I was thinking, no, I don't think he's gone down that far yet. I don't think he's crossed that line. I just knew there was a part of him that wouldn't do that. And I think that part of him really showed up in this last episode once he realized, you know, once Mayday died and then um, he just wasn't going to take it anymore from the Empire. So that was just a great way to end it. And even then I thought, okay, so the episode's going to end with that, with him closing his eyes and the stormtroopers are going to arrest him. And the Bad Batch will probably have to rescue him in a prison cell later on by the time the season's over. But I was surprised when the episode continued and he was in the Empire's cloning facility that we've seen in previous episodes and how um, he looks to be kind of going to be a test subject for those for the Empire's cloners there. And it just makes me think, oh man, what possibly what uses are going to have for crosshair with their experiments that they're going to do so that just opens a whole nother can of worms as far as uh, speculation on what where the season's going to go and where crosshair story 
is going to is going to go by the time the season is over. I'm sure the Bad Batch will still have to go and rescue him, and it's going to make for a great moment because that was another great part too in that discussion he was having with Mayday when he was on the trip mine, just talking about their old battalions and how he mentioned Clone Force ninety nine, and he said that with kind of with some sadness and some regret, and just how he's saying they're gone. And so just knowing there's probably going to be a reunion coming is going to be great. And I just can't wait to see how it's all going to come together by the time uh, the season ends, which is just a few more episodes to go. But yeah, this was a fantastic one. Um, this and the Solitary Clone are my favorites of the season. I don't know which one I like better than the others because they're both fantastic. But I just think they're great complement episodes to each other. That's continuing to tell a great story with Crosshair. So they're just both been amazing Star Wars stories that I've loved so much. So yeah, this one did not disappoint. It lived up to all the hype I was seeing for it. And pretty much all the episodes that have gotten hyped up um, for those who got to see the screeners have lived up to the hype, in my opinion, because they pretty much all have to deal with the story of the clones and how mm -hmm. that story uh, progresses throughout uh, this period of the timelines. And this one was no exception. So yeah, I absolutely love this one. I watched this uh, first before the Mandalorian, it was just a fantastic way to kick off a night of some great Star Wars content. So yeah, it was an amazing episode. I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it was fantastic. And it was great to finally get a payoff to everything that we've seen Crosshair go through. Um, because it was weird. Like, you know, we keep seeing him have these moments where like, you know, he's trying to prove himself to the Empire. And like, he he keeps being confronted with more and more evidence that you know like we're seeing it the other clones are seeing it like crosshair is seeing it too that like the empire doesn't care about clones that like you're expendable i mean we you know touched on like the beginning of the season when um you know he's back with the empire after them leaving him stranded on camino for like 32 days um and uh, even, you know, in the solitary clone where, I mean, you see that visual representation basically of like the clone troopers being replaced by stormtroopers there at the end. Um, but also, even as all these other clones are becoming disillusioned and stuff like Crosshair is still staying the course and he's still, you know, staying true to the Empire. Like, again, in the solitary clone at the end when like... Um, I just actually rewatched that one the other day. And it's like at the end, the fact that cody successfully negotiates a peaceful resolution to that situation like that hostage situation with the imperial officer and then he orders him to shoot the separatist that he just negotiated with and promised not to hurt her and he's like no i'm not going to do that and crosshair's like fine i'll do it like good soldiers follow orders that's what we do and it's like crosshair what are you still doing at this point like mm -hmm. you know when are you going to realize that the empire is not you know where your your future lies and so we finally got it here and it's almost been, I don't want to say frustrating because like, I mean, it's, it's been good to watch, like, you know, but it was just uh, like the more of that stuff that we see, the more I'm wondering, like, what is, what is it going to take to get through to this guy? And well, what did it take was essentially the Imperial uh, equivalent of Pong Krell of having this Imperial mm -hmm. officer who is straight up like, I don't like you. I don't respect you. I see you as equipment. Like you're just here to get the mission done. I don't care if you die. Um, and I think that combined with being in this extreme life or death situation where the only person Crosshair had to rely on was one of the regular clones. And that was another thing that we talked about on Rebel Cells last night. Like the fact that, you, you know, Crosshair out of all of the Bad Batch, we've seen kind of be the most at odds with the regs. Um, 
And I think that was the thing too, like with him seeing the empire kind of phasing the clones out, it's like, he felt like he was better than the rest of them. And he felt like, well, even if they don't like the clones, like they'll accept me because I'm better than them and I can prove that I'm useful and I can, I can prove myself and be of value and all that. And again, I think seeing just that level of extreme, um, you know, hatred and bigotry from the Imperial officer. And then also again, being forced into a situation where, um he has to lean on this this regular clone to survive and realizing like oh these are the guys that i should have been with the the whole time and again you talked about like the the kind of the story arc that he goes on starting with that landmine scene um or i guess it's it's right before he steps on the landmine that they see the dead body and he's like uh is uh, uh mayday says like oh i don't know what's worse the fact that um he's wearing like stolen armor that he took off of one of my guys or the fact that his guys left him here and crosshairs like makes sense to me, like leave the dead weight. Um, and Mayday's like, remind me never to die in front of you. And then what happens, you know, they, they strengthen this, you know, they form this bond over the course of the episode to the point where they complete their mission um, at least by, you know, taking out all the enemies and they get those crates, but then, you know, inadvertently tri- trigger that avalanche and, uh, you know, the equipment's lost and all that's left is Crosshair and Mayday. And he's like, all I've got left is me and this other clone and I'm going to do whatever I can to get him back safely. Um, and Mayday even tells him, he's like, hey, like, I'm I'm basically dead weight at this point. Like, leave me, save yourself. And Crosshair's like, no, I'm not doing that. Um and it was so beautiful and so tragic, like seeing his fierce determination to save Mayday, you know, they get back to the base and yeah. all that just for the Imperial officer and the stormtroopers to be standing over them, you know, watching him die um, and do nothing about it. And so it was incredibly like cathartic and like, a, oh, finally for, you know, to see Crosshair like shoot that guy, because first yeah. of all, you <laughs> wanted to see that guy get what was coming to him. It was like, they, they were kind of building that up. It's like, this cannot be one of those villains that continues on. Like this guy's got to get what's coming to him. Yeah. It's like, we don't um, need another Rampart. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, I would say he was worse than Rampart. Like, Rampart oh yeah. But was, as, as far as like lingering on for several episodes where he just can't stand the sight of him every time. Yeah. There, but. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, Rampart I thought was interesting because I didn't, I never really thought much of him in season one. He just kind of seemed like, oh, he's Tarkin's like junior officer, just kind of there to, you know, be be a stand-in for Tarkin almost. But like, at least maybe I need to go back and rewatch season one, but I don't remember him feeling like that menacing as a threat in, in season one until he comes and like, you know, destroys Camino at the end. Um but with some of the stuff early in season two, I was like, oh, Rampart's getting, you know, conniving and ambitious and like this guy's dangerous. Um, and then, of course, I love the fact that Palpatine just throws him under the bus and keeps <laughs> right on moving and showing that, you know, as much as these Imperial guys think that they're above the clones and like they're expendable or, you know, that, that the clones are expendable. It's like to Palpatine, you guys are all expendable. Like you're all pawns in the chess <laughs> yeah. game. Um or I guess, I don't know, maybe the Imperial officers are more like, you know, rooks or bishops, but like, you're still going to sacrifice those to protect the queen. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, like, you know, so I, I, I feel like Rampart was, um, at least it was, it was interesting to start watching some of his, his goals and him climbing that ladder and go, oh, watch out for this guy. Whereas this guy was just mean and petty and like, 
I'm like, I, I have no interest in watching this guy continue on. Like, he's here to do nothing but just make you hate him. Um, and kind of be like an extreme example of like, I, I mean, you know, this guy in particular is probably more, even more just kind of mean and sadistic than maybe most Imperial officers, but it's kind of a, like an extreme example of like the way that the empire in general is starting to see these clone troopers. Um, and again, like it, Crosshair kind of needed that example to see like, no, it's the empire as a whole that sees you as expendable and yeah. replaceable and less than human. Um, so yeah, like I was, I was obviously glad to see him kill that guy. And it, like, so I'm, I was glad to see him die. I was glad to see Crosshair finally come to his senses of like, no, I'm not taking this anymore. And I'm not being part of this anymore. Like I finally get that the empire doesn't have my best interest in mind. And so I'm not going to just take that line down. Like I'm going to fight back against them. Um, but at the same time I was terrified because like the, the guy, I think his name was like Lieutenant Nolan or something. And he's there with his whole squad of, of stormtroopers. And then he's like, all right, all of you get back to work and the stormtroopers turn and walk away. And it's right after that, that Crosshair shoots him. And so it's like, you know, those stormtroopers are not far off. I was like, Crosshair, my guy, like, let's maybe, like, go steal a ship and, like, shoot the guy on your way out or something. Um, you know, you got to have an escape plan here. But at the same time, I mean, I wonder if, like, maybe Crosshair thought that that was the end for him. Um, I mean, you know, the stormtroopers were all there. He also is, like, suffering from the cold and the weather and everything. And, you know, maybe he was just kind of, like, anticipating that almost to be his final act. Um, but I was certainly scared. I was like, wait, is he going to, you know, have this, this one final act of defiance and turn against the empire and these stormtroopers are just going to come and gun him down. And like, that's it. Um, and I wasn't worried about that because the stormtroopers would dismiss him anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a fair point. Um, although I feel like at this point, since they're still kind of implementing the stormtrooper program, like the ones that already are stormtroopers are probably going to be more competent than the stormtroopers we see by the original trilogy. Um, yeah, especially because, you know, we see like in season one, like, you know, Crosshair's got his elite squad that he's training as kind of like prototype stormtroopers and stuff like that. These are not quite just the the dumb grunts manning every outpost in the galaxy yet like we see in uh the original trilogy we're still kind of getting to that point um but yeah i was just i was concerned for his well-being and i was like man i hope we don't get a situation where like he finally has this moment of realization and finally acts out against the empire and then dies for it and that's it so i'm glad that didn't end up being the case um and yeah, I'm sure now we have to get a reunion with him um, with the Bad Batch at some point. I'm I'm assuming, I don't know if we actually got confirmation in the episode, um, but I think they've probably got him in Mount Tantis, where they've also got yeah. you know the Zillow Beasts and all their other like science. That's where I assume they were at. Um and so I so if I had to make a prediction for the rest of the season, obviously we know that like uh Lama Sue is working with the Empire and telling them to go hunt down Omega uh to bring her to um to Nala Se so that they can use Omega to manipulate Nala Se to get information out of her about the cloning programs and so the Empire can unlock whatever they're trying to do. Um so I think maybe we'll have another episode or something where like the squad is on the run, maybe having a bounty hunter after them or something like that. Um, 
And then I'm thinking that as we get towards the end of the season, maybe they're going to meet up with Rex and Echo again, and maybe like Gregor and some other some of the other clones that Rex has said he's been in contact with, and maybe they're going to be like, hey, we got wind that the Empire is like either doing experiments on clones in this facility, or they've got some kind of weapon that they're working on that's going to be super dangerous or something. And they, so they've got a reason to go in and try to like raid that facility and shut down whatever the empire is doing. And once they get inside, they're going to realize, Oh shoot, crosshair is here. And then part of the mission is going to be, uh, it's going to become, you know, rescuing crosshair and they're all going to, you know, get to reunite and like fight their way out together and stuff like that. Um, although also I wonder if maybe even, uh like maybe omega like maybe they are gonna actually capture her and have her there as well and so then maybe like omega and crosshair team up to try to escape while the bad the rest of the squad is trying to get in to get them out um or something like that but yeah i think now with crosshair having survived this episode i think you know there's an inevitable reunion with the rest of the bad batch at some point um and i think that's going to be great to see now after everything that he's been through and you know finally coming to the the realization um that, that they were kind of right all along about the empire yeah. um but then the question is going to be you know how how long does that last and is he going to survive and are they all going to get out together and is he going to go back to being part of the squad or is he gonna is he gonna sacrifice himself for the rest of them or is he gonna maybe go off on his own to try to make amends for the things he's done um but you know it'll be interesting to see what they do with all that yeah i have a theory of some possibly that might happen because I think it'd be something different and would make with some really intriguing stories going forward where kind of what you said, and even I thought it seems like the logical way the story was goes where like he'll find redemption with sacrificing himself to save the bad batch. That would kind of be the easy way to go. And even though it would probably, it would make total sense and would probably be very satisfying uh, to see that. But I think if they really want to do something crazy, they could do it where kind of the opposite happens where they come to rescue him. And yeah. They kind of make amends. And what if Hunter actually ends up being killed? And then Crosshair, by in other words, guilt or just feeling like he left his family, like he feels obligated to take the lead and take over leading the Bad Badge moving mm. forward, where it's kind of almost like the villain becoming the leader of a team. Because it reminds me of some like X-Men stories where Magneto becomes the leader of the X-Men for a bit while Xavier is missing or dead one of the times he was so it just that that idea of having like not necessarily the main antagonist of the series but someone who is pretty much a villain and an antagonist for the bad batch especially in season one coming back and now leading the group and doing it uh, out of respect for for hunter and kind of all they what they've been through in the past and then also too with building more on his relationship with omega because they have had some moments together in the premiere and even in the finale where that could be a relationship that builds uh, further on and where they can maybe kind of form a bond like her and Hunter had. But he's she'll be definitely more reluctant and probably in such a uh, bad state if Hunter does, in fact, die. But then Crosshair has to take it upon himself to be more of that father figure to her in certain instances moving forward. So I just think that would be like a really interesting dynamic if they go that way. I mean, I don't want to see Hunter die, but moving forward with a story where Crosshair is actually the leader of the Bad Batch, making amends for what he did, and just coming in this new way of, of, his, of how he thinks now, just moving beyond it being a good soldier, but being out there for what's essentially his family now, if they do come to like a reconciliation of these episodes. So um, it'll be 
I think it'll, I'll give Lucasfilm major props and credit for doing something as crazy as that. Uh, crazy in the sense that they would kill off one of the, <laughs> the main characters and the leader of the group in Hunter. But I think that would be a fascinating direction and an exciting direction to go for any future seasons if that's the case. But we'll see. It's just a wild thought that I had of doing something different than the traditional uh, redemption sacrifice arc that Crosshair seems to be kind of on the path towards at this moment. Yeah, see, I could see that maybe happening late, like in a later season, only because I would have a hard time seeing Crosshair going from like, you know, being part of the Empire and essentially being a villain and like an antagonist to the squad to then like rejoining them and going straight to being the leader to taking over, you know, Hunter's spot. Um, just because I'm sh- like, I'm sure the rest of the squad would welcome him back in, but there also might be some trust issues there um or some kind of you know some some hurt feelings to get over and stuff like that and you know just some concern for like all the things that he did as part of the empire so um and i also think i mean i I would like to see maybe a bit more development from crosshair before getting to that point too because i mean Mm -hmm. we have seen him like lead his own squad as part of the empire but i feel like he doesn't really show like leadership qualities it's really just the fact that he's an experienced soldier and like he's good at what he does um but he kind of just he takes orders he gives orders he shoots things like that's that's really what he does in that role um and i would like to see you know like if he does rejoin the squad like really kind of taking to heart um you know that relationship that he had with uh with mayday um because i even feel like obviously he's been part of the bad batch for a long time and you know that squad was pretty tight and they were off you know doing their own thing and it was you know them against the regs and all that but even as part of the bad batch crosshair always kind of felt like he was kind of off in his own little world and like wasn't super emotionally close with the rest of the guys or anything like that and so you know watching that episode with him and mayday it felt like this is really the most sort of intense um just like emotional character development or like the, the strongest emotional bond we've ever seen him build with somebody. And so before taking over as like the leader of the squad, I would like to see him then build similar relationships with like Omega and tech and Wrecker and be like, Oh, maybe I was wrong to, you know, I was wrong to join the empire, but even like when I was with you guys, I was wrong to be so standoffish and like, you know, um, just kind of let those walls down a little bit you know it would be kind of fun to see what that version of crosshair would look like and then like that's a character that i maybe could see taking over as leader of the squad eventually if something were to happen to hunter um at the same time i mean just because of the squad dynamic that we're so used to like it's just hard to imagine them doing that and and kind of hard to picture like what that would be like without hunter yeah especially if the show were (laughs) especially if the show were to continue on for a while after that i could maybe see that happening in like the final season um but uh and i mean heck we don't even know for sure if there's going to be another season of bad batch after this they could just do it you know make it a two season thing but um yeah i don't know we'll see it would be be very interesting to see going forward because like you said i mean that would kind of be the typical um almost predictable thing to do would just have him turn back to a good guy and then sacrifice himself kind of as a, a redemptive act um and i think it would be more interesting to see like okay, what does it look like if he rejoins the squad and now wants to repair that relationship and wants to make amends for the things he's done and, you know, how is he able to do that? So I hope he gets the chance to do that. Um, 
but also like I I hope that that doesn't come like at the expense of one of the other guys or something like that. So yeah, I don't know. It'll, I mean, we've only got what four episodes left of the season, but yep. with the pace that they're on recently, and uh, you know, the momentum of these stories now kind of starting to build towards what I'm sure is going to be a, a pretty impactful finale. It's going to be interesting to see where they go and how they finish this thing out. Yeah, these last few episodes, man, they've been on a roll ever since the pretty much the clone conspiracy. There was there was, there was that one um, right before uh, the Zilla Beast episode. I forget the name of it, but it was pretty much like the bad batch oliver twist <laughs> type yeah uh, story. so but i mean even that one was enjoyable but uh, but the everything since other than that one since this uh clone conspiracy has just been i think must see star wars yeah. content it's just been really great i foresee that continuing for these next four episodes yeah, it's been an excellent last four out of five for sure. Yeah. Um, and I think that the next, you know, if we, if, if the next three out of four or so are, you know, just as good, like I think we'll be in good shape. So, um, and here's hoping yeah. Crosshair is in the remaining four episodes too, <laughs> or at least like, you know, more than one. Um, yes, please. <laughs> Because, like, again, I mean, we could shift back to focusing on the rest of the Bad Batch and then them eventually having to rescue him. But also, like, yeah, let's see what's going on with Crosshair there and, like, Mount Tantus and all the the shady stuff that the Empire is up to. Because um, it would be weird, even though the two episodes with him in it have been really good episodes. Like, it would be weird if we had a whole season where Crosshair was only, like, three episodes old. I know. <laughs> oh, you don't have to tell me that. So, <laughs> yeah, hopefully we get some more good stuff with him the rest of the way. But uh, yeah, that was that was a great episode to get yesterday. Um, and oh, then, one like more I thing said, we... I forgot to mention, though. Oh yeah, go ahead. I keep talking about uh, Crosshair's awesome armor and helmet, but Mayday's outfit with the like the bandage wrappings over his clone trooper armor that looked really cool too. I really love his design of his armor, just him and Crosshair together, just a couple of cool looking clones just chilling in the snow. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well. It... His uh, costume look with, um, in that environment and with those bandages mixed in with crosshairs, this amazing black armor. So, yeah, I couldn't forget about Mayday and how cool his armor looked as well. Yeah. And like you said, he was just a great character overall, too. I loved his perspective as just kind of like a, a grizzled veteran clone that's, you know, still doing his duty, but also like completely disgruntled with the Empire and just kind of over their crap. And, uh, you know, really all he cares about is just protecting the few remaining brothers that he has left um so yeah he was a great character and i could definitely see why d bradley baker said that was one of his favorite new clones um unfortunately you know again we've got a tragic end for him i hope we still get to see captain hauser again at some point um because he was an i think hauser might still be my favorite like new clone that's been introduced in the series but uh mayday's right there up there with right up there with him also um and I just hope that uh, Hauser is still alive somewhere. I hope he's not also in Mount Tantus and been all like zombified or like been turned into one of those, um, you know, sort of like those brainwashed assassins that was working for Rampart or something like that. But I wonder if, I think that's got to be one of the things that we're going to find out more about in these last few episodes. It's like, what was the deal with that one clone? And, uh, you know, are they are they doing more with those guys in here? Like, is that, did that come from, whatever they're doing with Mount Tantus and are they going to try to do that with crosshair and uh, what else is going on with that? But um, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was a great episode. I'm excited to see what they do with the rest of the season. 
Um, but then, yeah, like I said, we also got a great episode of Mando to talk about from yesterday, too. So um, without further ado, I say we just jump right into that one. Yep, just how I watched it. Right in, one right into the next. <laughs> yeah. Um, and let's see. I mean, I guess we can kind of go through the episode in order again. Um, and we don't have to hit on, you know, every single particular scene or whatever. But, I mean, obviously this with this one after... Uh, last episode of Mando, you know, leaving Navarro and looking for a new uh, droid memory circuit for IG-11. He goes to Tatooine, to Pelimoto, um, tries to get one from her and the Jawas, and they don't have one, but she gives him R5 instead. Um, and so now, you know, he's got the, the R5 unit with him to navigate. He goes to Mandalore. Um, and first of all, I mean, it was like we had seen it from the trailers and stuff. We kind of knew what to expect, but it was just cool seeing Mandalore again. Um, and yeah. gosh, just, I mean, I'll say right off the bat, this was a visually phenomenal episode and there were just some really cool, like establishing shots of just ships coming in from the air and flying over planets and stuff. Um, just, you know, and again, seeing, seeing Din finally get to Mandalore, seeing how it's been laid to waste by the empire. I mean, even in the last episode, um, he had shown up to the armorer and had that like crystal shard that he said was from the surface, but seeing what the entire landscape looked like with just like those jagged plates of like those, you know, those the crystallized glass or whatever sticking out. I was like, oh man, Boba Fett wasn't kidding when Boba. he said the Empire <laughs> turned that planet to glass. I was like, I didn't know what he meant by that, but it's like, oh, like, yeah, he, they, they really did. So, um, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, it was just seeing mandalore in live action was awesome even though obviously it's in a much different shape than, than what we're used to seeing it in clone wars and in rebels but it's still even in its ruined state it still had that majestic feel to it that we saw in clone wars where the in the in the city where you saw the familiar architecture of the buildings and even in the tunnels as well that we saw in the siege of mandalore mm -hmm. all would have his kind of communication with uh those in the criminals underworld but yeah just seeing all that in live action in that ruined state it was just a trip to behold really and one of the things i was really excited for in season three knowing that we would be going to mandalore and just getting to see some of those elements that we saw in clone wars in live action in this state it just had you know just so cool <laughs> it was just knowing its history and all the stuff we've seen there i mean i'm kind of jumping ahead here but that moment where Bo-Katan first enters um, and sees the city and just is reflecting on what Mandalore used to be. And we're kind of doing that with her too, just knowing what it was like and those battles that she fought there in the Clone Wars. It was just, I mean, knowing all that history that was, that took place in previous Star Wars stories, it was just a really cool moment to see this um, iconic location in Star Wars in live action for the first time. So yeah, even though, as she said, it wasn't in its former glory. It was still a sight to behold seeing Mandalore in live action. It was just amazing, both in in the actual familiar locations and then just even out in the outer part of the planet uh, where it did have that crystal crystallized look and that glass look to it. It was, like you said, just a really great looking location that just felt different than anything we've seen before in any previous Mandalorian episodes. It was just fantastic. Yeah, definitely. I keep thinking like, man, if I could go back you know, go back in time, like 10, 15 years ago to like, you know, me as a kid in college, um, 
you know, watching Clone Wars for the first time and be like, oh, yeah, you see that? You see that? You see that? Yeah, like that's going to be a major thing in like a live right. action Star Wars <laughs> TV series in, um, you know, 15 years from now. Um, and just, you know, just all the stuff that we're getting now and things that were established in the Clone Wars that now play such a big role in this, you know, huge global phenomenon like live action TV series would have just blown my mind back then. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was crazy even just seeing the city and like, it was weird because it seemed like it was underground more so than I think we got the, at least for me, like I, I was mm. surprised it looked that far underground. Even, like the, the dome on top obviously had been, you know, blown up and everything. Um, but I was like, man, were these, because in Clone Wars, like from the outside, you just see the dome and then we see the city's inside but i was like were these always meant to be kind of more like underground with the dome just kind of built over the top at like surface level um or did this all kind of like sink when the empire bombed it like i was just i was surprised that it was all that far underground like the entire city was basically like down in a cavern um but i think it really worked yeah for the that's kind of how of i the took episode. It. it yeah like it, it um just you know thematically and visually like for this episode it looked really good just seeing din you know see the 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 crystallized surface of the planet and then descend down into these depths where you're seeing all this all this history of mandalore and stuff i'm sure you probably caught this too tim like as a fellow lord of the rings fan there were definitely scenes oh, yes. that reminded me <laughs> of the fellowship going down into the mines of moria and seeing you know the great oh, yes. halls of the dwarf kingdom and stuff like that yeah i mean just even the title just is very similar the mines of mandalore the mines of moria i mean yeah i really true. think that that shot of bo katan grogu and din going into the actual mines in the pool there is like the doorway it wasn't exactly similar to how it was in lord of the rings but i, I really think they were doing an homage there just that wide shot showing the big entryway to there is like how yeah. could that not be you know watched <laughs> oh especially well and again we're kind of jumping ahead to the end of the episode now but like you know when um you know seeing all the ruins of the bombed out buildings and stuff and then when they go in that big archway that leads down to the mines and you can tell there's a shift there like it looks more ancient and it's kind of more like untouched um it still is kind of you know old and crumbling but it's like it's because it's just ancient not because it's been destroyed necessarily and there's still there's like more of a sense of kind of grandeur in there um mm -hmm. as opposed to just kind of like sorrow and ruin and stuff like that there's two movies i thought this <laughs> this episode was taking inspiration from that moment in fellowship in the minds of moria then also uh the 1960s version of the movie the time machine or the creatures that were attacking din and grogu were had very morlock vibes <laughs> from that movie i don't know if you've ever seen that one but no i haven't underground creatures that uh, attack the humans and they look very similar to the creatures that we saw this episode oh okay yeah i haven't seen that but i mean these the creatures were cool looking um you know these weird like shaggy haired glowy green four-eyed you know creatures jumping out of the darkness and um of course you know din sends uh r5 in to scout ahead and then r5 like blips off the radar and he's got to go in after him and find him and, um yeah, i like all these... this episode <laughs> yeah it was um i liked how he was the reluctant hero but in the end he did his job yeah i mean it, see, it's funny because to me i know some people like have a real attachment to r5 d4 and i'm like 
Okay. It's the droid Luke almost bought. Like, I don't care. Um, and he was fine in the episode. It's just for me, it's one of those like callback Easter egg things that like doesn't do much for me personally. But yeah, <laughs> he, he was so close to being one of the most important droids in the galaxy. But <laughs> mm -hmm. unfortunately, he broke down. And now he got to help Ben here for a big moment yeah. in his life. I mean, he did still get you know knocked out by these guys, but you know he well he it, he mostly helped Grogu um, pilot That's the ship true, yes. to go back and, and get Bogatan and rescue Din, but. Um, I did like how Paley was building him up to be this big rebel hero. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Knowing his actual outcome and just how She's, he wasn't, you know, showing his true colors and being even reluctant to even go with Din on his journey. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And she's, she's, you know, hyping him up like, oh, yeah, he's built for, he's built for adventure. He's built for exploration. Like, he'll be fine. And then, like, as Din is leaving, she's like, just be careful because, like, he's a piece of crap. But, you know, <laughs> just like, bye, have fun. And, you know, um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a fun way to kick it off, too um seeing her but, again and you know back with grogu and everything but yeah it all makes makes you think now though like are we still like what's going to be like, i still think we're going to see ig11 be reactivated again but what's is going to be his purpose then for the season now that yeah what originally a, wanted him for has now been yeah no that's a good question i mean first of all i mean he got to mandalore a lot more quickly than i thought he was going to yeah um, I mean, we can kind of we a lot can of the stuff that happened about, here. I thought was season finale stuff. We were kind of yeah. Saying. We can kind of talk about this more towards the end. You know, speculating on like, okay, where do they go from here? But um, yeah, it's funny because it, like at first, like going into the season, you thought like, oh, maybe just the main objective of the season is going to be him getting to Mandalore, and then like after the first episode, I kind of had a feeling I was like, I think he's going to get to Mandalore sooner than we expect. I think maybe by like halfway through the season, um, I thought he would get to Mandalore because then I was like, okay, then we have the second half of the season to be like, okay, what now? Like now that he's reestablished as a Mandalorian or he rejoins the clan or whatever, kind of like, where do they go from there? Um, we still also don't really have like a, a main antagonist for the season. And it's like, you know, you kind of thought it would be Bo-Katan, but then like she was helping Din in this episode. And so it's like, is she still going to turn against him at some point or are they going to be friends? Is he going to clash with the armor? Is it going to be Moff Gideon and the Empire? Like, I think maybe they're going to introduce some big threat and like have to unite the Mandalorians against them or something like that. Um so again, just kind of thinking about it more, I was like, no, I don't think Mandalore is going to be like the season finale thing. I think that's going to happen maybe like halfway through. And then that has like repercussions that then lead to other things. Um, but I was surprised that this all went down in the second episode. Like I was not expecting it to kind of be yeah. resolved that quickly. Um, but uh, yeah. And then as far as IG-11 goes, like I think we're still like now that you've you've kind of opened that can of worms and like brought him back they've got to do something else with that um maybe they'll get it like maybe the anzellans will get him reactivated and he'll help in that battle against the pirates that we know is coming on navarro like just from the trailers mm -hmm. and stuff um maybe he, hey you know what um you know how uh um grief was saying like he was trying to get mando to stay and be the marshal of navarro uh. Uh -huh. maybe ig11 will be the new marshal of navarro and go. protecting the people and then you know <laughs> this droid that they had a statue to just comes back to life and right. just 
becomes the hero instead of the immortalized statue of the hero. Um, I actually really like that idea. That would be nice cool because that, <laughs> yeah, and that would be a good way to you know kind of. I mean, I guess replace Cara Dune. Um, and I still, I think I talked about this last week too. I still hope that they eventually recast that part and we get to see her doing some stuff with the New Republic and um, all that kind of stuff. But like, um, yeah, as far as her, you know, being the former um, the the marshal or whatever on Navarro, it's like, okay, yeah, well, if we can't have her, let's just bring IG Eleven back and he can do it. So, um, yeah, I think that would be a fun way to bring that back. And yeah, like you said, like now that like. I don't think they would go through all the trouble to like bring him back to life and then have them like fight him because he's back to his old programming and then have to shut him down again and then go to the Enzelans for help and all this stuff only to be like, actually we got our five instead. So we don't even need IG 11. It's like, (laughs) that's got to lead to something. No, yeah, definitely. And now that you mentioned, I really like that idea of him being the Marshal of Navarro. I actually think that is probably where it's going to go now. It makes total sense. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. So, um, and we still got, you know, plenty of time left in the season. I mean, that's kind of what's cool too about the fact that this is only the second episode. It's like now, aside from just a couple other things, it's like the rest of the season is pretty wide open. Yeah. Um, especially given where this one ends. But before we get to the ending, I mean, we still got to talk about a lot of like, uh, you know, I guess, so we, we talked about the first wave of creatures that didn't fight and it was cool to see him fighting those things. And again, like struggling with the dark saber. Um, and I wonder if like, he's got to get some more training with that at some point, but I wonder if like, is he going to get more training from the armor? Are they maybe going to meet up with Luke or Ahsoka or another Jedi that can like train him in how to use a lightsaber? Or is it like an internal conflict kind of thing? Is there maybe like a mental block that he has to get over before he can use this thing effectively? Um, but yeah, clearly didn't clearly didn't need some more work with the Darksaber before he can, uh, you know, effectively wield that thing. Yeah, you know, I was actually a little bit surprised that he was still kind of struggling with it and you could still tell how heavy it was. Because in the finale of Book of Boba Fett, he didn't, he looked to be better with it where it didn't seem as heavy. He got some good blows into those uh, droids with the shielding. Um, but also, too, just knowing that how he'd probably be in a little bit of a better state of mind than when he was fighting it with the armor, or just for the fact that he was reunited with Grogu and he mm-hmm. is taking on that um, father-mentor relationship with him as a little foundling. And you just think he would be in a better headspace to wield the, uh, the Darksaber and not feel as heavy. Because it looked... Um, the same, if not even more heavy than it was uh, when he was fighting the armorer. So, um, yeah. I mean, it would make sense to where he's still not proficient with it and still has some trouble. But I was surprised that it seems to be still struggling so so much with it um, after the, what we saw with him in the Book of Boba Fett and how he rolled with it, especially in the finale. Yeah, that's true. But I, I mean, see, that's where I'm like, I think it's kind of a combination of both. Like, I think you have to be in the right headspace and not be kind of like fighting against yourself, like the armor says. But I also think it just takes more training, too. Yeah, um, of course. You know, like, I mean, we saw like in Rebels, for example, like we see Kanan and Sabine go through a lot of training together. But then it's when she finally clears that mental hurdle of like reconciling with her past that she's able to finally be proficient with it. Um, yeah, and I guess, and, I mean, even though he is reunited with Grogo, he's still 
isn't in a great mindset to where you know he's still trying to atone for what he's done as the Mandalorian. Yeah, that's exactly. Weighing on him too. So yeah, he's in this whole thing of like being an apostate and and trying to find his place within the Mandalorian. So yeah, maybe that's part of it as well. Um, but uh, yeah, and I think obviously for this episode too, I think part of it was just the contrast of seeing him versus when we see Bo-Katan use it and seeing like sort of how oh, much yeah. more proficient she is with it and seeing like, may are they trying to make a point that like maybe it really does belong with Bogatan, or they're just trying to show how much work Din still needs to do. Um, or I don't know, like I said, the, the sort of the role of Bogotan going forward and like whether she's eventually going to be a, a friend or enemy at the end of the day and like who's going to kind of get that top spot among the Mandalorians is going to be really interesting to see how that all goes down. So, yeah, so it, then obviously, you know, Din and Grogu go further down. They're going through the tunnels, like you said, you know, where um, the same tunnels where Maul comes out of and goes, I was hoping for Kenobi. Yeah. <laughs> um and I was just, I was like, man, we've seen all this stuff in Clone Wars. This is crazy. Um, and then, you know, as they're going down, like, I mean, you're seeing all these weird creatures and stuff that are hiding in the darkness. And um, then Din finds like some armor that's been buried and he unearths this buried Mandalorian helmet and then gets trapped in this, you know, steel cage that immediately snatches him up and is like this giant crab droid spider looking thing with like an organic eye stock coming out of it <laughs> that was really weird and creepy it was one of those things where you're just like I mean, what the heck is this yeah. this is not what i thought we were getting in this episode we've never seen anything like this in star wars before this is weird and makes no sense and i love it like you know it's kind of like <laughs> yeah. gory and shard it is like yeah. gory and shard in the last episode it was just like that's really weird I like it. Um, that's kind of how I felt about this thing. And like, um, you know, it takes Din down to like this underground lair where it clearly has been like luring a bunch of other Mandalorians to their deaths. Cause it's got a bunch of other like discarded Mandalorian armor and stuff down there. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like, you know, there's obviously a lot of questions about like, how did this thing get here? Was it put there by somebody? Is this just some sort of like, biomechanical being that has just taken up residence here by itself like after the destruction of mandalore um i think it kind of raises a lot of questions and i'm not sure they're important questions or you know questions that they're really gonna dwell on a lot for the rest of the season um because i think really the whole story purpose here was just to have a situation where like din ends up in danger grogu's got to go find bo katan to come and rescue him and uh, get the two of them back together again. And, um, and the, you know, and in the meanwhile, it gets to just kind of have this fun sequence. And obviously it's kind of a throwback to some like eighties, like horror creature movie type stuff. Um, Cause just like the layer of this thing and the way that it moved and like the, just the creepy design of it and everything like it, it didn't remind me of any one specific movie, but it just definitely had those kind of vibes, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it was just, I don't know, it was really cool. Again, it was one of those things where I'm like, what the heck am I watching right now? Like, I don't even know, but like, it's cool. I like it. Yeah, it's, oh, that's what I love about this series. Like, even we're seeing a lot of stuff that we know we were going to see just from the trailers in this episode, but then it does something totally different that we didn't see anything of. And it's just awesome. And it just makes you excited. Like, oh, I can't wait to see where this is going to go and just what cool action we're going to get um, with this weird strange character but like you said just 
is just awesome to be holes as something new and different that we haven't seen in Star Wars before. And knowing that somehow it's going to be taken down by either Din or Bo-Katan, of course, later on. Uh, this made for some really cool action, but this made you excited for not knowing what's going to come in this whole new dynamic that's being thrown into this episode was just really cool because just from the trailers i always thought those creatures that we saw at the beginning i'm just going to call them the morlocks because that's what they remind me of <laughs> like there's that shot of the trailer that we see here where grogu uses the force to push one away and i just thought oh that um was him protecting din there where he was getting maybe overwhelmed by them got injured and he can't face them by himself but grogu's going to take care of it but no something totally different din was incapacitated Capacitated by a totally different way and something totally unexpected but yet i just love the curveball that was thrown in this episode here and just just a really fun segment that we got where um it wasn't you know the crux and the end point that this episode was leading to because obviously there was a lot more that happened after it but uh, that was another kind of surprise that happened where i thought okay this is where this episode is going to be just kind of going to be to where Din gets saved uh, by Bo-Katan, and then we'll pick things up next week, probably them moving closer and deeper into the mines. But no, we got more after that. But it all still felt like a good, well-paced episode that we got here um, mixed in with this cool, different moment <laughs> that I wasn't expecting to see. So yeah, this was some uh, a creature and an action element that um, was just really cool to see unfold because it was something unexpected yeah definitely um yeah and i love when we just get this like weird unexpected stuff like this um <clears throat> but then um yeah so of course grogu like goes back to the ship like you said we get that cool moment where he like is force pushing the thing out of the way and um and then i love too how like we're seeing like i think we talked about this last week too how just in little ways we're seeing like sort of progression and character development for grogu and like we're seeing him learn and grow and um like at the beginning of this episode you had the moment where he's in the starfighter with din and din's showing him all the different controls and stuff and showing him the map and as they're coming up on mandalore he says you know he points out like this is mandalore and then there's concordia where i was raised and then he shows him on the map like there's Kalavala, that's where we visited bogatan um and so then when Grogu gets back to the ship and R5 is there, Grogu's like points right to Kalevala on the map and is like, take us there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, he remembers that stuff. He's learning that stuff. I think by the end of this season, we might hear Grogu say his first word too. Because I feel like we're starting to see him be a little more expressive. And even at the beginning of the episode with Peli, he was kind of, you know, just like babbling. And she was like, oh, he just said his first word. And it's like, you know, clearly he didn't. And, you know, people will do that with babies <laughs> where it's like, you know, they hear what they want to hear. And it's like, oh, he think, I think he just said my name. It's like, yeah, okay, sure. Um, but I think that might be something we get by the end of the season. Um, and it's cool to just see him, you know, continue to just like learn and grow in those little ways. Um, but then, you know, they, they go back to Kalevala and uh, I like that Bo-Katan comes out and she's like, I'm going to get rid of this guy once and for all. And at first you're thinking like, oh, is she coming out ready to fight? Like, is she going to yeah. kill him? Like, is she that mad that, that yeah. Din came back? <laughs> but then as she's walking up to the ship, she's just like, I told you I want to be left alone. And it's like, um, that to me was like, oh, okay, she's not necessarily looking for a fight. She doesn't want to kill anybody. She really just like wants her solitude like she's like leave me in peace like i'm done i'm not going off on any more adventures or quests or anything like that like i'm not trying to uh restore mandalore anymore like just 
leave me alone. Whatever you're trying to do, leave me out of it. But then as soon as she realizes that Din's not there and that he's in trouble, um, she's like, oh, okay, let's go rescue him. And it, it, I mean, it's almost kind of funny when you think about it, that she goes from like, I got to get rid of this guy to I got to go save this guy like real quick. Um, but I do like how it kind of shows that even when she's at a low point, um, and even though we've kind of seen different sides of Bo-Katan over the years, and we've seen her with different factions, and we've kind of seen her be both a good guy and a bad guy, um, I think one thing that she always is true to is, like, she's loyal to Mandalore, she's loyal to her people, and if there's Mandalorians in danger and she can do something about it, she's going to help. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, she gets R5 and Grogu together in her ship, and of course, again, like, really cool to see this Mandalorian gauntlet fighter from Clone Wars in live action. And, uh, you know, they take off in that and head back to Mandalore. Um, but yeah, it was just a fun little way to, to get her back into the episode. Even just that whole sequence of like, you know, Grogu and his little pod, like flying through the tunnels and knocking creatures out of the way and stuff. (laughs) Um, it was just, uh, you know, just again, another cool, fun sequence. Yeah. I loved a lot of stuff with Grogu kind of, doing what he has to do on his own to to save him there and you know might have been a little scared at first but you know kind of at this moment anyway use the force as his ally to get through i don't know make it back to the ship but taking out any creatures that were in his way so i just love that little progression we're seeing for grogu like you said here and just also too this is dynamic with bo katan when they enter mandalore and kind of go deeper into the mines to rescue din just how grogu's still kind of a little like doesn't trust her <laughs> as quite as much as Din would just uh, kind of letting her, I forget exactly. I've only seen the episode once. So I can't remember the d- exact dialogue, but just kind of Bo-Katan kind of questions him a little bit. Like as far as uh, again, this can't remember the exact dialogue, but just the idea where she's kind of implying that he doesn't trust, trust her, so to speak, or, um, he, but also calling out that he was a little bit of, of afraid too. She was trying to tell him not to be afraid in a certain instance, but uh, just well, she dynamic. tells him, she tells him like, um, she's like, I don't know what they taught you about us, you know, at the temple, but like there was a time when Mandalorians and Jedi actually got along quite well together. And like I've yes. known several Jedi and fought alongside them and stuff. And so again, it was cool to get that those was call, great, yeah. those callbacks to Clone Wars, even though she didn't, you know, specifically name mm-hmm. like Obi-Wan or Ahsoka, like, you know who she's talking about, because we've seen her fighting alongside Jedi. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, little things like that just makes you just so glad that we know the history of all this stuff of these characters from when we see them, or have seen them before in Clone Wars, and just knowing what they've been through, they just say certain things like that. It's just a great feeling <laughs> to hear, even though they aren't necessarily name dropping in this instance, but um, yeah, so just the dynamic that Grogu had with her, I felt was a little interesting where, um, like even some of the noises of grunts he would make to her as well. So just, just that fact that he's just not, just because Din trusts her and says to go get her, Grogu doesn't necessarily just put his complete, uh, trust in her that she would protect him, uh, as Din would. So I just found that to be a little interesting as they were progressing and making their way, uh, to their rescue. Um, but yeah, that line her mentioning the Jedi was just great. Just kind of in her own way, teaching him about uh, Mandalorians and a little bit of uh, their history and his, and her experience that she's had, um, as she mentioned, her battles and fighting alongside the Jedi. So just a, cool to see Grogu in a different dynamic um, than just with Din all the time. Obviously, we saw 
a little bit of that with Luke in the book of Boba Fett, but having it here with another Mandalorian, but another Mandalorian whose views are a lot different than how Din's are. So this made for a brief, but yet very interesting uh, dynamic that the two of them had in this moment. Yeah, definitely. And Bo-Katan had a lot of great moments throughout this episode. And, yep. you know, I some, mean, great di- some great dialogue. Yeah, dialogue on the conversation there. she has with Din. I mean, yeah, <laughs> that was some great yeah. some Some great moments just with her being back on Mandalore and talking about the history of it and the things she's been through and stuff like that. Um, but then, of course, they get to Din in, you know, down in the caverns with the, the big creepy, like, cyborg droid thing that's keeping him down there. I can't wait till we find out, like, what that thing is called. Um, but, uh, you know, so she springs into action. Obviously that thing has taken away Din's, you know, blaster and the dark saber. And so she uses her, uh, you know, whip cord thing, whatever you call it to, you know, grab the, the saber for herself. And she's proficiently using the dark saber and her little like Mandalorian wrist energy shield thing. Um, <laughs> such an awesome looking visual. Jeez. Yeah. And just helmet, hacking that dark saber, hacking, energy shield. Jeez yeah she's just hacking that thing to pieces um and it was cool too oh because the 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 spider thing you know it's got this head that's on top of this giant robot body but then he like pulls his head back into the body and comes out on this more like smaller like spindly looking thing um that really reminded me of um you remember the uh gosh what was his name kasdan paratus from the force unleashed who was like the the okay. Jedi that was hiding out on Raxus with all the junk stuff. And he's like a tiny That's little right. um, yeah. like alien or whatever. Um, but he's built this whole like mechanical suit around himself. And, you know, it's got like these spindly legs and stuff and moves in kind of this creepy way. Like that's what it reminded me of. Um, but like, so she fights that thing and kills it. But then like the head comes off and crawls back to the big spider body. And then she's got to fight that again. And again, she's just, you know, very proficiently like, dodging and blocking and slicing off different limbs and stuff with the dark saber and then she eventually you know stabs it and then cuts the head off and um the thing finally dies um so yeah very cool to see and and cool to see like oh this is what proficiency with the dark saber is supposed to look like <laughs> um yeah th- this is what a mandalorian wielding this weapon can really do when they you know have training and experience with it um so kind of just showing like what Din has to live up to, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was really cool. And especially because that's the first time I think, I mean, aside from Rebels, when we see her get it, I think that's really the first time we've seen Bo-Katan in action with the Darksaber. And um, like yeah, I said, it was just so, right. just just a really cool visual. I mean, her armor just, every time she's on screen, I'm like, dang, that's Bo-Katan in live action. That's freaking cool. <laughs> um, she just looks cool as is, but then yeah, like I said, with the with the shield and the dark saber and everything, it was just I was eating up every minute of that. So that was really cool. Yeah, it was a great action beat. I mean, if the episode, like I thought it was, was going to end on that note, it would have ended on a high. We just seen Bo-Katan wield the dark saber like we never saw be used before in live action. It was just awesome to see her wield it and just use other stuff tricks that the Mandalorians have in their armor. Too. like i said using the whip cord to get it first of all using the energy shield it was just an awesome visual like like i said it just was just so so cool but yeah um great to see her rescue din but like i thought the episode was going to end there but man it continued on for just some more great moments for more on a character level too 
for the both of them that we get later on as they try to make their ways to the pool of Mandalore. But that conversation that they had too, where Din was healing up was some great stuff too. So just that we got the cool active stuff with Bo-Katan, but mixed in with some great character moments too. And just um, all that stuff just added just for another great appearance of the character that uh, we have here for once we first got introduced to her in season two or not introduced, but in live action scene or we brought into that medium for the first time did not disappoint her role in the finale was great. And it just continuing on here in season three in the Mandalorian in this episode. So yeah, just a lot of great stuff with Bo-Katan as you said too. And just sometimes you just can't help but think we're seeing Bo-Katan in live action. Just how awesome is that on a just very consistent basis uh, for how she's being portrayed here. It's really, it's just been awesome. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, like you said, I think this was definitely some of the best, uh, like character development and just, you know, sort of deep conversations and stuff that we've gotten to see from her in, um, I mean, in live action and really in, in some of all the stuff we've seen from her. Um, but yeah, it was really cool just seeing her and Din go through Mandalore together and talking about the history of it and the different factions and why it fell. And um, it's funny because I think, you know, Katie Sackhoff made like a, a, an intentional choice when playing her that like when she sees Mandalore again, you know, she's not like distraught or like, you know, she doesn't seem completely heartbroken. It's more like when, you know, she seems still kind of like remorseful and wistful, but it's almost like, oh, well, like I had my shot. Um, and you kind of, I think you, you get a real insight into that mentality when she's talking about, um, the, the fact that like, the, I, I think Din says like, oh, it must break your heart to see it like this. And she says, no, what breaks my heart is the fact that Mandalorians keep fighting each other for no mm -hmm. reason. And it yeah. makes us weak and we never stood a chance against the empire to begin with. So it's almost like seeing all this destruction and stuff. It's like, it makes her sad, but like, she kind of just saw it as inevitable and she's like, what really was sad was that we weren't able to, you know, that we as a people weren't able to get over our differences and like unite against the empire. And we kind of brought this on ourselves. Um, and I think that's a really interesting perspective. But again, I think kind of lends more to the theme of the season that I really think is going to be the, the Mandalorian factions kind of putting aside their differences and uniting under one banner against whatever common threat is going to rise up probably some imperial thing maybe moff gideon is going to escape from imperial or from new republic custody and be up to some more shenanigans and then you know eventually with with the ahsoka series we'll get thrawn introduced um but uh yeah it was just really cool to see um that take on that from her especially because you know you you think of like the armor and people that are like oh yeah bo -Katan is cursed and the reason that mandalore fell is because she didn't earn the dark saber through combat. And um, you would think that, you know, Bogotan would either maybe like be really negative towards the people that view her that way, or maybe just be really hard on herself and be like, Oh, this was my fault. And I couldn't protect Mandalore from this. And instead she just sees it as like, this is sort of a failing by all of us. And like, you know, of course the empire was going to beat us. Like we never had a chance because we, as a, as a culture failed. Um, and hopefully they can start to do some things to uh, to make that right. Yeah, just what makes that her say all that, that regret that she is feeling about Mandalorian just being constantly at war with each other pretty much. She's, she's seen it her whole life. And 
what makes it even more personal is that it is very close to home with her. I mean, just even with her own family, obviously, that we saw with her and Satine at odds during the Clone Wars and just how that kind of encompasses to what all Mandalorians were going through. Just Satine trying to bring the pacifist side, but but Bo-Katan going with the more of the warrior ways that those Mandalorians really believed in. So even on a grand scale, the Mandalorians were at war, but even at really close to home, it, had, it affected Bo-Katan as well, too. And I'm sure that's all just going through her mind, walking through Mandalorian again in, this, just in its destructive state. And just how great it was just hearing her talk about her father and just how she did come from royalty and how you know she was brought up as a princess, pretty much. And um, just how... Um, she would kind of put on the show of being of being part of that royal family, but knowing that she her intentions as a Mandalorian is kind of like elsewhere, obviously knowing that she eventually joins up with Death Watch. But um, I did wish she would mention Satine there, or at least uh, throw in a line about having a sister, just kind of um, indicating to Din that, yeah, like I was even at odds with my sister type of thing. Uh, but we didn't get a name drop or any reference to her there. But at the same time, knowing the history of Clone Wars that uh, she was a big part of, uh, or I should say Satine was a big part of Bo-Katan's uh, life, and especially as she was recounting her early upbringing here um, to Din. But I guess they really wanted to focus it more on um, her relationship with the father and just uh, his history a little bit, since that is something we um, don't really know too much about. So it was kind of cool to get that insight uh, more just on another layer to Bo-Katan's history and her family history, I should say, rather. But, and this is kind of learning what happened to him. Uh, we don't know exactly, but I believe all she said was just that he died defending Mandalore. But, mm-hmm. And I really wish I would have saw this episode more than once <laughs> before recording, <laughs> because there's certain lines of dialogue and I just not remembering right off the top of my head. But uh, just, you know, just more great conversation of her opening herself up to Din here. And obviously Din really appreciate it because he just made the comments saying like, your father sounded like a really good man or, or I wish I would have known him. Um, I think he said that, <laughs> but just really yeah. Kinda... Well, so Din said, and I've watched it twice, so I remember the dialogue a little bit better. But Din says, like she's saying all this stuff about her father, and Din says, "Your father sounds like an interesting man. Like I, I would have liked to meet him." Um, and then she said, "That's when she says, like you know, he was a great man, and he died defending Mandalore." And then Din just says, "This is the way," um, which is funny because I've seen some people kind of like poking fun at that and being like, oh, he's so awkward. Like she tells him that her father died and all he can say is like, this is the way. But I think for him, like especially growing up the way that he did, um, obviously he didn't have a lot of, you know, we haven't seen him have a lot of like pers- clo- close personal connections with people. Um, and so I think he's still kind of new to like having these vulnerabilities and things. But for someone to tell him that like their father died defending Mandalore, I think him saying this is the way it's not just like, oh, that's like the automatic response because that's what all Mandalorians say. But I think for him, that's meaningful because it's kind of an acknowledgement of like, oh, like to die protecting Mandalore. Like that is the way like your father was, you know, was a a shining example of what it means to be a Mandalorian because of that. And I respect him for it. So um, that was kind of how I took that. But also it's funny because you you know, you bring up Satine and obviously we didn't get a direct reference there, but there was something, and maybe this is me kind of reading into it a little bit, but it felt like she just kind of like slightly alluded to it where, um, Bogotan says like, you know, Oh, like I, I took the creed and everything and, uh, you know, made our, you know, like 
did what the people wanted to see essentially. And, and um, Din said like, Oh, you know, your father must've been proud of you or something. And she says like, I was, or like, I know he was proud of me cause I didn't embarrass him in front of everybody. Um, and she almost said that as if like, it was like, I didn't un- embarrass him unlike somebody else. Mm. And I could easily <laughs> see a situation where like, you know, because Bogotan, you know, joins Death Watch and pushes back against Satine's, you know, new regime to like make the Mandalorians pacifists and stuff. And so maybe um, even as like young kids, maybe Bogotan was like, OK, I'll take the creed. I'll go along with the old way. I'll you know honor the traditions of Mandalore. Whereas maybe, you know, they tried to like baptize uh, uh, Satine in the waters with the, you know, take the creed with the helmet and everything. And she was like no, I don't want to do this. Like we're, man, you know, we need to find a different way that's nonviolent and everything. And maybe her father was like, you know, not too happy about that. So um, I don't know, at least for me, I was like, obviously that's not a direct reference for to Satine, but I could see that maybe being alluding to a little bit of history there. Yeah, because like I said, I you know, she's just thinking about her past in this moment and every a lot of the stuff that she did while on Mandalore. You know, Satine was a big part of that, so... Even though she didn't outright say it, she had to be thinking about her sister in that moment. But I'm mm-hmm. sure we'll get some type of mention, the name drop or a reference at some point if Bo-Katan continues to show up in these episodes. And Mandalore yeah. continues to be a big, the planet Mandalore, I should say, should be a big focus of this of the season. I mean, I would think Satine would have to come up as its ruler at one point um, during a conversation she may have with Din somewhere down the line. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it was cool to just see again, you know, they go through this big archway that's going on this like ancient passageway down to the living waters and the mines of Mandalore and all this stuff that we've heard so much about, which was also funny because like, even though she told Din where to find it, he apparently was going the complete wrong way. Um, <laughs> because when she comes to rescue him and she's like, I'll take you to the waters, like they end up going somewhere that was not where Din was going the first time. Um, but, uh, you know, they head down there and they're having more of these conversations and stuff. And then they get to where this place is. And um, I kind of like how, again, I think this is going to lead to like sort of a, a reconciliation of their two different views. Because you, on the one hand, you have Din, who was like very much like, oh, the planet is cursed. Oh, the, you know, the the powers of like the living waters and believes all these like myths and traditions and sort of like this almost mystical side of Mandalore and then gets there and kind of realizes like, Oh, like it's, it's just a planet. Like it's not cursed. It's not toxic. Like it's, it's breathable. I can walk here. Like it's kind of, it's, I feel like the, over the course of this episode, Mandalore was kind of like demystified for him a little bit. Um, And at the same time you have Bogotan being like, oh yeah, like all your myths and legends, like, sure, I'll take you there and you'll see that there's nothing to it. And uh, ends up being a little bit more to it than she thought there was. (laughs) Um, First of all, I mean, it was a cool moment where she's, you know, again, she's reading from this plaque that says like, you know, these are the minds of Mandalore and the living waters and the first Mandalorians got their best guard here and the first you know, Mandalore the Great tamed the Mythosaur, which was said to live in these waters and stuff. And she's kind of reading it in this voice of like, ooh, ah, like, you know, um, like a, a kid's story that she doesn't really believe. Um, but then Din has this moment of reverence where, you know, he takes off his cape and his jetpack and starts wading into the waters and reciting the creed and, you know, the 
the music swells. And even in that moment, Bogotan is watching him almost kind of reverently, like mm-hmm. it's almost making her respect it a little bit more, um, just seeing how much it means to him. And I thought maybe this was going to be the culmination of the episode where it's like, oh, we're just getting to see Din have this, you know, this redemptive moment that he's been working towards and see him take the creed and to see how much this means to him being back on Mandalore and, and taking part in this ritual. And then right as he's about to finish reciting it all, he gets suddenly dragged under the water and Bo-Katan has to jump in and save him. And, uh, you know, we get this cool sequence where it's all dark and murky underwater, but she like, she's flying down with her jetpack, and it's super deep. I'm like, man, how far down does this water go? Yeah. And she finds Din just lying at the bottom of this cavern and she grabs him and pulls him back up. And lo and behold, as they're rising back up through the water, they come face to face with a mythosaur that is still living in the waters beneath Mandalore. And this thing is just massive. Um, and you can, t- I mean, you know, it's funny see, after all this time of like that iconic sort of mythosaur skull iconography that we always see associated with the Mandalorians, like you see its face and it's like, yep, that's a mythosaur. Yep. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, then she she just pulls Din up out of the water and there's, I think Din still is like unconscious at this point um, or just kind of like choking and spluttering. I don't even know if he realizes what just happened or if he even saw the mythosaur. Um but Bogatan, you know, it's funny. It's one of those moments where, like, she still has her helmet on, but you can tell mm-hmm. underneath that helmet, she must just have this expression of disbelief on her face. Yeah. Like, holy crap. You still you see know. that state of shock <laughs> on her helmet, even though, yeah. you know, yeah. it doesn't change at all. But. And then the episode just ends right there. Um, so kind of on a cliffhanger, because I'm assuming with the next episode, we're probably just going to pick back up right there and have to deal with, okay, what does this mean? Um but uh, yeah, I mean, again, I like how we both see the the planet of Mandalore and all these these stories and legends and things kind of becoming demystified for Din a little bit. And at the same time, you have Bo-Katan who's like, oh, yeah, sure. These are children's stories. These are myths, you know, mythosaur in the water, whatever. Oh, shoot. That's the actual mythosaur living in the water. Like maybe there's more to this than I gave credit to. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, very interesting to see uh what the repercussions of that are going to be going forward and i'm sure that's not the last time we've seen that mythosaur because again you know there's all this talk of like um you know the the mandalores of old uh the ones that have you know led the clans and stuff like taming the mythosaur or riding the mythosaur and even in i think it was back in the book of boba fett when um the armorer is telling din about uh bogatan and about the old you know the the story like she's telling all her stories and stuff um, she says something about like, you know, the songs of Eon's past foretold of the mythosaur rising up to herald a new age of Mandalore or something like that. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I have so many questions. Like, is the mythosaur only an aquatic creature? Are we going to see it come up out of the water? Are we going to see somebody ride it? Are we going to see somebody kill it? Is it going to be part of... Better not um, see that. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I think if anything, it's going to be more about, you know, taming it and... and writing it or we're just going to see the mythosaur wreck shop against like the imperials or whoever is going to come try to mess with it um but yeah like is i don't is it going to be din is it bogatan is it the armor are they just going to take the re-emergence of this thing as a symbol or is somebody going to have to do something with it or you know it's just going to be really cool to see how all this plays out going forward um 
And also, like, how long has that thing been down there? I'm right. assuming it was probably dormant and hibernating for a long time. Um, or, I mean, you know, these waters were pretty deep. So maybe it was just chilling down there doing its own thing. And nobody realized that it was still living down there. Um, and, you know, probably like the, the empires bombing up the planet probably woke it up or brought it up to the surface or something. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just a really cool way to end the episode and uh, opens up a whole new big can of worms for where things could potentially go the rest of the season and just the implications this could have on uh, all of our different Mandalorian factions. Yeah, what a great, exciting way to end the episode on it. Again, one of those things that I didn't think we were even going to get a look or a hint of the Mythosaur till I originally thought the finale, but at least maybe like the penultimate episode, but this early on, I was not expecting, but man, it made for a really exciting finish to what was a really fun and cool episode. Originally, like when I saw it, I, okay, I assumed something must have pulled Din down into the water, but then as he was just like lying there, like there was nothing like was holding on to him. And then when they were escaping, like the mythosaur didn't like make an attempt to try to stop them from escaping. So then I was wondering, did the mythosaur actually pull them down? Or was it just kind of Din succumbing to like his injuries in that moment? And he just uh, fell into the water. But again, having only seen it once, I'm sure it looks more like he was pulled than just falling because of lack of energy or something. But I just found it a yeah, little surprising. I think, I think that was the implication because he doesn't... Yeah. It's not like he just collapses. Like he's mid-sentence, like reciting the creed, and then he just disappears under the water. Yeah, I just found it interesting that the mythosaur really wasn't chasing or and nothing was really chasing them or preventing them from getting out. Um, but other than that, it was just, man, what a great visual. Just a great tease to see a mythosaur in the flesh, in live action, and you know we're going to see the full thing. Maybe that's what they're saving for the finale, where... We see the mythosaur out of the out of the mines, out of the water in all its glory, and we see Din riding it. I mean, we saw Boba Fett ride the Rancor in the Book of Boba Fett. Well, they can do a team up where Din's on the mythosaur and Boba Fett's on his Rancor. Maybe it's more grown, and maybe uh, the clone Zilla Beast will show up, and we just have this big monster bash <laughs> in a future episode or series down the line. But no, I just I think it's really going to be there for symbolic reasons. Uh, it all goes back to it that. Uh, that story the, the armorer said about the mythosaur rising again, bringing the new age of prosperity to Mandalore. I mean, that was even in the recap uh, before this episode started. So um, we're going to, I guess we'll see exactly how it'll be used, but even if it didn't, doesn't tame it or anything, just the fact that I think Mandalorians know that the mythosaur is still alive and is real. is just going to be, you know, something that they'll look to. Maybe they'll look more towards, Let's say Din does tame um, the Mythosaur. Maybe they look towards more of that as a leadership as far as than more so than wielding the Darksaber. So this, I just think things are going to be changing for the Mandalorians for what they believe. I think for both factions too. Um, as you were talking about, Din maybe got came to the realization that some of the more mythical things that he would believe about Mandalore wasn't exactly the case. And then on the other hand, Bo-Katan is seeing that some of that mythical and fantasy stories that she didn't believe some of that is actually true with seeing the mythosaur so i think it's going to kind of be almost like a compromise between the both factions coming to terms with what actually is um reality uh, when it comes to mandalore legend and that um will probably help and bring the factions together because i do agree with you that's probably what the end game is going to be here with the factions coming together 
maybe not necessarily the season, but just in the story of the Mandalorian as a show, I think is eventually going to come to that point where the Mandalorians are, are no more separate factions. They take back Mandalore. Uh, they have a leader, whether it's Din or maybe later on it'll be Grogu too. You don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, just some big stuff uh, to happen here. And it was just really cool to see just from a visual standpoint to get that little glimpse and tease of the mythosaur in live action was great. And it'd also be a kind of a cool callback to where um, in season one, if did, if it does in fact at all leads to Din taming the mythosaur to kind of how uh, Quill in season one gave Din some mm-hmm. uh, crap for not <laughs> uh, being able to tame the Blurg. And he goes, you're a Mandalorian. Your people tamed the mighty myth- mythosaur. <laughs> the, the Din to actually do that would be kind of a, another cool progression for his character. So That would be pretty wild. Yes, yeah, so yeah, I if only Queel could see him now. Yeah, yeah, that that is a bummer when you think about it that way, though. <laughs> but yeah, just a really exciting, cool way to end the episode on. I was not expecting that um, for Din to be pulled and then to actually see the mythosaur, like we said, that shock that we know is on Bo-Katan's face under the helmet is just kind of what we were have as an audience too just being shocked <laughs> that we're getting this stuff so early in the season it looks amazing so yeah just a really cool moment uh for the characters here but then just us as an audience to get to see this type of uh star wars content here with a creature we've known seen so many times just as a logo on the side of boba fett's armor and t-shirts and i've that i've had with the logo on there to kind of finally see what that creature actually is and how it looks in live action was such a trip. So yeah, it was just awesome. One of those things that you knew it was coming this season, didn't know how exactly it was going to be done so far. It's played out differently than what we were expecting as far as the timing of it and this early on, but man, it's probably going to end up being for the better to just start us off with this tease and then just to have a great payoff probably when the season's over, where we just see the mythosaur just you know, no holds barred of <laughs> what he's going to yeah. be doing. So, yeah, really cool. But it also could be next episode. You like, never know. You know, I mean, Din and Bo-Katan are still on Mandalore, and we don't know what they're going to do with all this. But, you're right, I mean, it could be one of those, like, Book of Boba Fett kind of things where, like, I mean, it's in, like, the second episode that he's gifted a Rancor um, and says, like, I want to learn to write it. And you're like, okay, the, that's already setting up for, like, there's going to be a big battle in the finale, and we're going to see Boba riding a Rancor. So, um it might be one of those things that doesn't have a full payoff until the end of the season but regardless it's going to be awesome to just see more of that um and man they really went all out with the the creature budget for this season because we've already gotten i mean in addition to gorian shard and all his pirates and all the you know all the different weird aliens and stuff that we see like lurking in the depths of mandalore this episode and the whole like crab droid spider thing and all that um we also had like the giant crocodile turtle dragon thing from the first episode and that looked great and then this episode with the mythosaur and of course we've really only seen its face and it's you know kind of murky and water and so it's kind of easier to hide you know the, the effects for that one but still like it looked fantastic from what we saw of it um And it's just kind of funny to go from, you know, thinking back to like season one of Mando with like the blurgs and stuff that, I mean, those looked really cool too. Um, In fact, it's funny because the, the blurgs didn't really look photorealistic. Like they looked like 
almost you know like stop motion stop, puppets yeah, or something but i think like they were made to look like that because that's mm-hmm. how they first showed up in like the ewok movies and stuff um because they it's one of those things again like they the way they animate them they look so like practical effect like puppet stop motion kind of thing that like anytime i see like behind the scenes footage from season one of mando where they're just riding on like blue humps that they later cgi'd in for the the blurbs i was like oh wait they weren't actually riding on those because like you know it's one of those things where like they it looks like a like a practical effect so it doesn't quite look real as like a real living creature but at the same time it's one of those things that's like hard to believe that it wasn't there on set that it was just like a you know those blue like rocking horse things that they ride or whatever um but anyway so to go from that to then season two with the crate dragon and i remember just thinking how impressive that thing looked and how much they were stepping up their game in the visual effects department and how like you know that was just um you know, mind blowing that we were getting like a, a photo real, like CGI creature on that scale that looked like something out of a movie and we're getting it on a TV budget. Um, and of course in other series, we've gotten things like that with like the dragons and game of Thrones and stuff like that. But just to see it in a star Wars series for the first time was really cool. And that was really kind of the only time that we got something like that in that season. I mean, we also got like, uh, you know, the ice spiders in the episode after that, but, I feel like that was the one real big showcase for like a big CGI creature type episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course, you know, in the book of Boba Fett, we got the Rancor, but then, you know, now this season, just the, the amount of like CGI creatures and, and robots and stuff that we've gotten just in the first two episodes. It's like, man, what are we going to get for the rest of the season? I think we're just going to get a lot more Mythosaur, but who knows? We could get a lot of other stuff too. Yeah. I know you were saying kind of what might happen to the Mythosaur. Of- but I really hope they don't kill it off here. I mean, that would just be a disappointment that also like how like the symbolism I think it represents for the Mandalorians as a culture and as a people too would just be I don't know, a very anticlimactic way for that aspect of the story to end if it somehow gets killed off where um, either, I hope it's not something where it's like the Mandalorians have to do or that's part of the rite of passage type thing, so to speak, but um, I just hope whatever happens, it's something where it's not killed off by the end of, by the time the story is over. Yeah, no, I hope so too. And especially, I don't, I definitely don't think it'll be the Mandalorians, um, because again, their whole thing isn't like hunting or killing the Mythosaur. It's like you know, taming the Mythosaur or riding the Mythosaur is what you know. It's kind of like um, like Toruk Makto in Avatar, like the one that gets to ride the great beast um you know is the one that can kind of claim the the leadership title or whatever which yeah it'll be interesting to see how that plays in with the dark saber as well um you know maybe din will get to do both or maybe he'll be like here bokatan you can have the dark saber because you're way better with that but like taming beasts is more my thing um and he'll get to ride the mythosaur and maybe they'll they'll team up that way and maybe they'll be co-leaders of mandalore i don't know (laughs) um so uh yeah i definitely don't think it's going to be the mandalorians hunting it and i hope i mean i hope it doesn't die at all but who knows maybe like moff gideon's gonna come after it or something and be like oh now the mandalorians have this legendary symbol i gotta take that thing out Um, he'll be the one with the zillow beast clone (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i mean that was that was super cool and i just can't wait to see um what they do with that next and 
you know, where we go from here. Like we said, it's crazy that this is all going down already just two episodes into the season. Um, this stuff that we thought that the whole season was going to be building towards. And now it's just kind of like, well, now what? But I love that feeling of like, oh man, we still got six episodes left and we really don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Aside from like, we know that we're going to see more of Gory and Chard and the Pirates. And we're going to get a battle of Mandalorians versus Pirates on Navarro. Um, now kind of doing some more, um, I don't know, investigative speculation, if you will. I mean, if we look at like the upcoming schedule of episodes in the director's, um, uh, Carl Weathers is directing the fourth episode and at least based on last season, like he directed an episode that he was in a lot. So I would assume that maybe that'll be the case this season. So I'm thinking maybe he directs the episode where the big battle on Navarro happens. I could be wrong, but if that does end up being the case, then that's just two episodes from now. So maybe din goes back to the armor and all the other mandalorians and says hey like i have bathed in the waters i have seen the mythosaur i have reconciled with bogatan like and you know maybe ends up leading the mandalorians and then in the next episode grief is like hey i need some help i'm getting attacked by pirates and you know this big old army of mandalorians comes and fights the pirates on navarro so um we could be in for something like that. We also know, I mean, like we said, the uh, the Empire is still out there somewhere. And we know from the trailer that, like, we're going to see some stuff on Coruscant with the New Republic um, kind of being wary of this threat that's out there. Uh, we know, you know, Moff Gideon is still around somewhere, presumably in, you know, New Republic custody. Um, but you've also got the, the scientist guy, Dr. Pershing, out there. Um, and then, you know, again, stuff we've seen from the trailers, we know there's going to be, uh, you know, like at some point, a scene with all those TIE fighters that are chasing Bo-Katan's ship on uh, Kalabala. So, um, yeah, the Empire is getting involved in some at some point. And um, it would just be cool to see, you know, all these Mandalorians have to unite to fight against them. But it's like, what's the scale of that threat going to be? Are we going to see some really cool big battles? I don't know. We Like I said, we still have, you know... 75% of the season left to go and uh, the possibilities are wide open. It's a great feeling knowing there's so much left in the season and yet we saw a good portion of everything that's been teased for us so far in trailers and uh, story beats and like I said, just makes you more excited, anticipating for what's to come because we have no idea but I fully expect to have our minds blown just like we have been in the previous seasons going into unknown territory when we get to the episodes where we've seen everything from trailers and just everything from here on out is just going to be new stuff. We're not quite at that point yet, but I'm sure by the time we get to the halfway mark of the season, we'll probably be done with all the stuff we saw in the trailer. It'll just be full on, just awesome new content that we have no idea what to expect and just bring it on. I'm ready for it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's all we've got to say for this episode, but it was another fun one. Um, and like, sort of, you know, just great day of Star Wars stuff all around yesterday with that and Bad Batch. So um, I'm certainly enjoying kind of riding the wave of uh, having both of these coming out every Wednesday, at least for the next few weeks. You know, Bad Batch is going to end before Mando. But um, yeah, it should be a, a really exciting rest of the season for both of those shows and uh, lots more fun stuff to talk about before we're done. Yeah, just both episodes were great for very different reasons, and that's what I loved about it so much. Uh, the Bad Dad is more of a heavy, deep episode uh, for Crosshair as a character, and but then Mandalorian, you just got so much 
lore, uh, Mandalorian lore in this episode and just seeing things in live action and locations of Mandalore in live action for the first time was just great in itself. And then ending the way it did with the Mythosaur was just fantastic. Yeah. So I, even though I've only seen both once, I've been thinking about them all day today, just chomping up the bit to watch them again. <laughs> so I might watch one of them tonight before heading to sleep. But you could bet on over the weekend, I'll probably watch them multiple, more multiple times uh, before we see the next episode of each series next week. But yeah, it's been a blast. All right. Well, on that note, we'll wrap up and get out of here so Tim can go rewatch the episodes again. Thank you. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, of course, thank you guys, as always, for tuning in. Um, you know, you can always uh, keep up with us online. Follow us on Twitter at Star Wars TSC. And, uh, you know, we're on Facebook as well. Send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. And uh, you can also check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com um, for all of our, you know, latest episodes and stuff over there. Uh, check me out also on rebel cells talking about bad batch every week, um, for more kind of in-depth analysis on those episodes and also a special announcement. I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast yet, but for any of you who happen to be, uh, in the Southwestern area and, uh, like going to conventions and stuff, and especially any of you, any of you that are native Arizonans like me, if you go to fan, uh, Phoenix fan fusion, um, that's a you know great convention that we have here every year uh, in downtown Phoenix. And, um, you know, we had it again last year for the first time since COVID, but like I've been going every year since like 2013 that it's been, um, that has been happening. And usually I, I think every year since 2015, I've been hosting star Wars panels with a couple of good friends of mine, uh, Joey Letson and Jason hunt. Um, and unfortunately Joey's or yeah, Joey's not going to be able to make it this year. Cause he actually, um, he does a podcast called the Animaniacs, cast where he talks about the Animaniacs. And through that, he's gotten connected with some of the creators of the show and now like travels with them to different conventions and stuff. So he's going to be out of town the weekend of fan fusion this year at another convention with those guys. Um, but we have Tim coming out from California to join us instead. And uh, Tim's going to get to go for the first time and hang out with me and Jason. And we're going to be hosting a couple Star Wars panels together. So uh, if you happen to be in the area or if you happen to be, um, you know, someone that if you live in Arizona, if you go to Phoenix Fan Fusion or if you've never been before and you want to check it out, come check it out. And you can hear me and Tim's talking Star Wars in person along with Jason. So um, looking forward to that. That'll be a ton of fun. And um, yeah, it's been I think since celebration in 2015 was the last time we got to be on a panel together at a convention. Yeah. Um, and even that was just kind of, you know, it was brief because that was one that, uh, that Mike hosted for uh, like Frontlines and uh, I guess the Rebels podcast back at the time before it was Rebel Cells like it is now. Um, and he kind of had different people on for different segments and we were on for like 15, 20 minutes. So um, yeah, this will be the first time that we're getting to do full panels together and two of them, no less. So. Yeah. Funny enough, that first celebration panel we did, I was gushing about Crosshair in that episode too, because we were talking about the Bad Batch <laughs> story reels from there. So yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, we're not going to be doing a Bad Batch panel, but I mean, maybe we should, I could see if, you know, we could try to sneak that in at the last minute, but no, we'll be doing a Mandalorian panel and then also one about Star Wars video games. And we'll be talking about Jedi Survivor and uh, all the other, you know, games that are in development that we've got coming up. So um, yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. I will probably record those panels too, and maybe put them out as a podcast at some point. We've done that in years past as well. Um, so uh, yeah, that should be a lot of fun. 
Um, and we're definitely looking forward to it. Um, and, you know, again, looking forward to uh, just more great episodes of Mando and Bad Batch and talking about those with you guys in the upcoming weeks. Um, so stay tuned. Uh, but, you know, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, we will see you guys next time and may the force be with you. See you next time, everybody. Thank you.